How many of you have ever woke up in bed with a strange woman? <laughs> you guys ever done that? <laughs> Mine went to the beauty shop this week, had her hair cut off, had it dyed red. I woke up with I thought, whoa, I'm in the bed with the wrong woman. What's the deal? <laughs> You girls, you never know what they're going to look like tomorrow, right? <laughs> she asked me, she had long hair, and she says, I'd like to cut my hair. What do you think about it? I said, oh, honey, I said, that's okay. You just do whatever you want to do. Oh, what a mistake. <laughs> she cut it off and dyed it red. She walked in, I thought, whoa, this is my wife? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Oh, me. But you know, she's like all girls. You know, she didn't like her gray. She didn't like those streaks. She wants to look young, you know. (laughs) I told her, I said, look at this. A beautiful redhead young woman here, 29 years old, married to a guy like me. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. Isn't life fun? Life's lots of fun. Y'all come on in. Praise the Lord. Come on over here. In the name of Jesus. Y'all come on in. Praise the King. Praise the King. Praise the King. Come in. Come in. Young lady, how are you doing? Praise the Lord. Y'all just come right on in here, praise the Lord. <clears throat> We're it's just it's one o'clock or a few minutes after one, but we usually get started about one. We try to, but anyway, we welcome you to the uh, Dallas Healing School. We have one of these once a month. Uh, you know, every second Saturday of every month from about one till about five. And I will have to say, we have seen the Lord do some great things. Hallelujah! <clears throat> you going over here? In the name of Jesus, I want your back to be healed. Yes. In Jesus' name. Yes. Now go over and sit down. The king's going to heal you. In Jesus' name. The king loves people. He wants to heal people. He does great and wonderful things for people. I've seen him heal many. Uh, not just many, but thousands of them in the last few years. You know, it's uh, it's something when you when you have had the privilege... To walk in a place where you've seen God answer prayer like we have had the privilege to see Him answer. The average church member, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about the world, you know. I'm talking about people that profess to be Christians. When you talk to them and say something about, well, I prayed for so-and-so and the Lord did this or whatever. You see them back off for a second, their eyes get big and they say, that's unbelievable. <clears throat> what a shame. Now, I think the church has got to get beyond that space. But, of course, I also know, not think, also know the church has got to start reading her owner's manual and have got to start obeying the owner's manual. Because we have certainly not done a very good job in that area as a church. In fact, how many people have you ever heard say in your life, I don't want to be a Christian if Thurman, I'll just use me, if Thurman's a Christian and he lives like he does, then why do I need to be a Christian? I mean, he watches the same dirty movies, obviously, on television. I do because he comes in talking about them on Monday morning. Or, you know, he didn't go to church yesterday because he went to the lake because the day was too pretty and he went out skiing all day. And he went out drinking with the guys last night and he came in with a hangover this morning and can't hardly work. So if he's a Christian, why do I need to be like him? And you know, there's Christians live like that, you know. People that say they're Christians live like that. Now, I mean, the Christians, the church, 
we should be so holy and so on fire for Jesus and should be in His Word so that anytime anybody has a problem, they say, wow, let me go find Dan or Bob or Susie. Let him or her pray for you because they, when they pray, things get healed. They're a Christian. They know Jesus. And that's, that's why we should be known, all of us, and we should live holy. But the church today does not believe she can be holy. And I didn't believe that either because I was raised up in a church that told me I was just a sinner saved by grace. And, you know, I sin every day, all day, and so there's not anything I can do about that. But when I begin to read the book in detail, I found out that's not what the book says. The book clearly says that I am supposed to be a new creature when I get saved, and that new creature is supposed to walk in a love walk with God and with God's people, and I'm supposed to walk like it, and I'm supposed to be tuned into the Spirit, and I'm supposed to be sensitive to the Spirit, and I'm supposed to be led by the Spirit. Now, right here, I'll just throw this in. Ty and I both, as some of you know, Ty and I both fly airplanes. You know, and he's just learning. I'm an old-time pilot, but he's a new. But he's got a few, a couple of hundred hours now, or whatever. Anyway, he's having a lot of fun. Well, he brought his airplane over Friday afternoon, I guess it was, or Thursday afternoon. Thursday afternoon. He wanted me because I'm also an A and P, an airframe and power plant mechanic. I'm a licensed aircraft mechanic. I can work on airplanes. I used to teach at an aircraft uh, airframe and power plant school, so I've taught this as well as worked on them. So he come over, and he's not an A&P mechanic. He went to school to be a doctor. When I was learning how to work on airplanes, he's learned how to work on people, see, <clears throat> and animals and stuff like that. So everybody's got something different they can do. But anyway, he brought his airplane over. It was time to change the oil. So, of course, he brought his son and his grandson. You know, and then I was there, and he was there, and then Dave was there, a whole herd of us. And we were laughing and cutting up and talking, and we were changing the oil filter and everything on his airplane. And we were putting it all back together and put the panels on it, and I safety wired the drain plug and the oil filter and all the stuff you have to do. And we filled it up with oil, and we cranked it up, and it didn't leak anywhere. And so he loaded his son and grandson up, and off they went into the wild blue. <clears throat> the next morning, I woke up, and the minute I woke up, the Spirit told me, you did not tighten the oil filter on his airplane. So I called him immediately. I said, Ty, I, the Spirit, the Lord just spoke to me and told me I didn't tighten your oil filter. He said, oh, you got to tighten it. I've already flown it this morning. I flew it home last night. It didn't leak a drop. He said, I've flown it. I've already been out flying with an instructor right now. We're in a class. And he said, you must have tightened it. I said, no, Ty. I didn't. The Lord told me, and he don't, he's never wrong. I said, the oil filter, it may not be leaking, but it's not tight. So he goes out there and gets the mechanic, and they take the covers off and check it. And sure enough, it's snug, but it's not tight. It's not tight. I had failed to put a wrench on it, tighten it. Now, see, this, this has happened to me so many times. In fact, yesterday, I didn't want to tell the guys where we're working on. We're doing an annual on our 421, the one we fly all over to go places with and carry the whole team. When we go to speak at other churches, we're doing an annual on it and started on it Wednesday and probably take another week. But we're tearing it all down. So yesterday, I was telling the man that owned the shop I've got it in, I said, uh, <clears throat> we're talking about the Lord. These men, as we stepped in there day one, we started talking about the Lord. And, you know, they have never experienced two men like me and Dave that come in 
And they're saying, you know, you can't know really if God is real. I said, oh, yeah, sure you can know. I said, number one, Romans chapter one, the scripture says, if for no other reason but for the creation. I said, we look at all the trees and the grass and the sun and the moon. I said, we know he's real. And then because of the divine attributes of God, we know God is real. Ah, well, you know, maybe that just happened, you know. I said, well, yeah, anybody, you know, knows better than that. But I said, another reason I know he's real. I said, you see that man standing right there? Looked, pointed at Dave Rosenfeld. And he said, yeah. I said, this man is a computer science engineer. He worked for Nortel, helped design some of the most complex computer software in the country, kept their computers running, but he was born with an incurable disease. Could not get well. I said, I met him a few years ago, and I told him, I guaranteed him if he'd do what Jesus told him to do, Jesus would heal him. I said, the man did what I told him to do from the Word of God. I said, today, this man standing right here before you that had an incurable lifelong disease is completely, totally healed. All eyes turned to Dave Rosenfeld. He's sitting there saying, that's exactly right, guys. That's exactly right. Now we got these guys' attention. (laughs) Everything began to change. The vocabulary changed around there. Everything changed. And now then, all time, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, is constantly, we're, we're having a good time with them. We're working. We're doing a good job. We're working hard. In fact, uh, the gentleman that owned the shop, he's 61 years old. And the second morning when I came in, he says, uh, how do you feel today? I said, well, great. He said, how many places are you stiff, stiff and sore? I said, no place. He said, you mean you come in here and crawled all over that airplane up, down, underneath, and did everything you did yesterday, and today you're not even sore? I said, no. I said, I keep my body in good shape. I exercise it right. I feed it right. I drink it right. I eat and drink the right things. And so I said, that's why this body can do what it does. I told one of the men, I said, you know, about, I said, you know if you would serve the Lord, you'd have a power inside of you that could help you do things that would be beyond your wildest dreams. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you're a child of God, you can be led by the Spirit. I said, now, let me explain. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you guys are mechanics, so let me explain to you something. I said, I remember one time when I was building a V8 Chevrolet engine, and I had put all the pistons and rods in it, and I would put the last two in, and I had torqued them all, but the last two, I put them in and snugged them up. And somebody would come up to the front of the shop and had to get up and go see what they wanted. And then I messed with their car a couple of hours. And when I got through with that and did some other things, by the time I got back to this engine, it was about 10 o'clock at night. So I said, okay. I looked down. Everything looked complete. I thought, okay. So I put the pan on it, put all the bolts in it, went in, took a shower, and went to bed. 2 o'clock in the morning. Woke up, just like, why? You forgot to torque those front two rods on that engine. Now, who was that talking to me? The Holy Spirit. That's what He wants to do for those of us that are children of God. So the next morning, I got up, went out there and pulled a pan back off that engine. And sure enough, they were snugged up, but they weren't torqued. So I retorqued every nut inside that thing and then put the pan on. There was no problem. This is the problem. We, as sons and daughters of God... He will never let you get in trouble if you're walking in obedience to His Word in His love. When you're walking in His love, He will always warn you in advance to let you know what you're fixing to do is going to get you in trouble. You know, it may get you in trouble like tear up an engine or 
In fact, when Ty called me back after he found the oil filter loose, you know what he said? Hi, Zimmerman, this is Ty. I'm just on the outside of Jupiter on the way to heaven. <laughs> but he's on a cell phone, so I know he's not telling me the truth. <laughs> and the other thing he said, when I told him, he said, oh, well, if it is, if I crash, I'll, you'll just have a great prayer warrior in heaven for you. Isn't that a good way to look at life? He wasn't the least bit concerned. He knew who was in control. But I ain't ready for him to leave yet. <laughs> I am not ready for him to leave. I don't think the Lord's ready for him to leave yet. But I technically think now that the Lord has given all of us, or at least He wants us, He wants us all to be well. He wants us all to be strong. He wants us to be about His business producing fruit for His kingdom. That's what He wants us to do because... The Lord does not want anybody to die and go to hell. See, He made this set of rules and He gave us a freedom that anybody that wants to serve me and love me and worship me, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want that, all you got to do is just confess Him with your mouth and believe with your heart that the Father raised Jesus from the dead to pay the price for your sin. And when you acknowledge that by faith, bam. You become a new creature in Christ. And you become a child of God. And then, when you become a child of God, that magnificent Holy Spirit that leads me and, and leads you, He comes into us. And then if we will walk in obedience to His Word, anytime we start to do anything that's going to be wrong, He will warn us. He will tell you, don't do this. Don't go there. You're shaking your heads like you've been warned a few times. You, you definitely know what I mean, do you, ma'am? Yeah. See, why does God warn us, His children, that are walking in obedience to His Word, about doing something wrong? Because He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves or somebody else. You know, He is love. But now, do just like when I told these men down there where we're working on the airplane, I told them about the, the car, the engine, and I said, you know, that's what it means to have the Holy Spirit living in you to talk to you. And then I asked them the question, has that ever happened to you? And they stopped a minute and said, no, never have I ever had anything like that happen to me. You know what that tells me? They're spiritually dead. They're spiritually dead. If you've never had the Holy Spirit warn you, you probably don't know Jesus. Because if you're not His son or daughter, then He will not warn you, you know. I mean, he can do anything, but most of the time he doesn't do anything for those that are not his own. You know, he just lets you make your own way. And that own way will take you into destruction. Now, a lot of times those of us that are Christians, he warns us and warns us and warns us and we don't listen. You know, I mean, you know, here's this little lady sitting on the front row saying yes all the time. I can tell. There's probably been times the Holy Spirit jumped up and screamed, grabbed her by the nap of the neck and everything else and told her, no, don't do this. And she said, oh, well, that's just my woman's intuition, but I'm going to do it this way anyway. You've done that, haven't you? Sure, every one of us have. We make that mistake, but why do we make that mistake? We make that mistake because nobody ever tells us how to train ourselves to listen to the Spirit of the living God. So we just think, well, the best explanation I have for this is woman's intuition. You know, that's just us women, we just know that. You know, that's our conscience. No, it's not true. It is your spirit. It is the Holy Spirit communicating with your spirit, and your spirit's communicating with your mind, telling you what to do. 
And it's unfortunate that so many people don't listen to the Spirit when He talks. You know, I mean, you may get angry at someone. You know, if you get angry with someone, if you listen for a few minutes, you know what the Lord will say? You need to go love that person. You'll hear that little thing. You need to forgive them. But Lord, you don't know what He did to me. You know, we come back with that, don't we? This is the Lord saying, but I told you to forgive and love because if you don't forgive and love them, I'm going to give you a little time to repent. But if you don't, then I'm going to send a tormenting spirit to torment you. And that's what's scary. When God sends a tormenting spirit to torment us, a lot of times that's when we begin to come down with our sickness and disease. Now, see, we don't understand this principle. It took me a long, long time to understand this principle. That if we... In fact, I've had people in church, you know, you ask a question, who in here has unforgiveness toward anyone? You know, you look around and there's a hand up over here and one over here and one back here. And you think, wow, these people don't have a clue what's written in the book. And then you say, okay, how many of those that had a hand up that got a grudge against somebody, how many of you would like to get even with that person? And a few more hands go up. I'll get him. <laughs> you think, wow. Wow. Now, that person... If they don't hear the Spirit pretty soon, that person is going to be in for a big fall. Because God is going to send a tormenting spirit to that person. And that tormenting spirit is going to torment you. It's going to torment your spouse. It's going to torment your children. And if you don't get rid of that unforgiveness, you will have people in your family that will die, that will come down with sickness and disease, and it could even be passed on to children for several generations. And a lot of people have children that are born, you know, that are not normal, something wrong with them, and they're, it was a result of either their sin or their parents' their parents' sin or their grandparents' sins. Now then, those sins under the Old Covenant go back four generations unless you have a child born out of wedlock. Now, there's some, there must be something about sex outside of wedlock that God doesn't like. Yeah. You know, because He says in the Old Covenant, we read over and over and over, if anybody's involved in sexual relationships outside of marriage, we see the time, one time, when God sent Moses down that was having a party in the camp, and there was literally millions of people, and there was a drunken ball going on down there, and people were having sex with each other, doing all kinds of things. And obviously God really didn't like it because anybody know how many of them He killed before Moses could pray through? That's exactly right, brother. 23,000. God sent a death angel and killed 23,000 people in that ball, that drunken orgy ball. They were satisfying the flesh and He didn't like it. And Moses began to intercede, Please, God, don't kill them all. And because of the intercession of Moses, God stayed the punishment, and only 23,000 died that day. Only 23,000. You know, so when you look at these kind of sins, we see that the God that we serve under the old law, what He didn't like under the old law, He don't like it under the new law either. He's never changed. But it's like the church doesn't believe Him and we don't pay any attention to Him. 
So we go out and we sin, and then we wonder why we come down sick and afflicted. But the only major difference between the old covenant and the new one, the new one, he sent the blood of Jesus to forgive you. Isn't that good news? Amen. <laughs> he sent his son. He paid the price. And in fact, <clears throat> I just tell you for sure, I know for a fact, I can make this statement and be 100% sure I'm right in this statement, that if we didn't have the blood of Jesus to wash away the sins of those of us sitting in this room, if every one of us, when we committed our first sin, was killed like that 23,000, there wouldn't be a person in this room today. Every one of us would be dead. We all know we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone, and probably the thing about it is, we didn't just sin once or twice. You know, we probably sinned dozens and dozens of times over and over. Just like when God says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, I know there's none of y'all in here right now under the new covenant. In Philippians 2.14, he said, do all things without grumbling and complaining. So I know there's not a single one of us in here has ever grumbled and complained since you become a Christian. How many times do you think you've grumbled and complained since you become a Christian? You don't even know how many times, do you? Isn't that amazing? And then we wonder why we're sick. Well, now see, God is merciful. Now see, these are the things we've got to learn about what God likes and what He doesn't like because we've got to find out what it takes to walk in divine health because that's what we want to do, right? Amen. Nobody wants to walk in sickness and disease. You know, in other words, God sends wake-up calls. How many men do I know and I know many of men that meets the criteria I'm fixing to tell you, that are in the church. Now, I'm not talking about worldly men. I'm talking about church people that go to church pretty regularly, you know. But yet, they're in the world. They're so busy in the world that from Monday through Saturday, they're working 24-7 in the world. I mean, they're going to and fro, traveling here and there, doing this, business deals. Pray over something? Pray over breakfast? Who's, what's that? You know, pray over lunch? For, what's that? You know? Pray before you start the business meeting? What's that? I, I was in church yesterday. Thurman, that was Sunday. I went to church and I, I listened to the preacher preach for 30 minutes. Longest message I've ever heard in my life, but 30 minutes. I couldn't hardly wait to get out there and get to the football game. So he went and sat down, watched four hours of football, never thought a thing about it. But he couldn't listen to the preacher for 30 minutes in church. That tells you where his interests are, doesn't it? And then you wonder why at 45 years old, Arteries are plugged up. You know, you're going to have to have triple bypass. You ever see a 45-year-old man have to have triple bypass? You might be one of those. I don't know. But do you know what happens? We don't put God first. That's so, See, here's, here's another commandment the king says. The king said in his word, you're to have no other gods before me. Anybody ever read that? I am a jealous God. And you're to put nothing before me. I'm to be number one in your life. When you wake up in the morning, you're to tell me, Lord, good morning. Look at that beautiful sky you made out there for me today, Lord. I sure do love you for that beautiful day you made out there today. And then you get up and you go sit down at that breakfast table, if that's what you do. Some, some do eat breakfast, some don't. You go in there and sit down, that glass of orange juice or whatever, you say, Lord, I sure do thank you for this glass of orange juice. Well, you didn't have to give this to me this morning. 
I could be out there with nothing. So I want to tell you how much I love you and thank you for this glass of orange juice. Or what if it's just a glass of water? Lord, I want to thank you for this glass of water. Because let me tell you, if you're out there in the desert one day without it, you're wishing you had it. Isn't that amazing? But see, we, we don't thank Him. We don't worship Him. We don't praise Him. We take Him for granted. So we eat and we drink all week long, not praising God at all. And then we go to church on Sunday. I'm talking about businessmen now, or just could be a businesswoman, or just a man or a woman. And we go to church on Sunday. And then we sit there and we, maybe, we go to, maybe we're really devout Christians. We go to Bible study. We go to worship service. And then we even come back on Sunday night. Boy, you're really a Christian when you do that. You've got it down pat. <laughs> That's an exceptional Christian that goes to church twice a day on Sunday. You know. And then if you back on Wednesday night for prayer meeting or what, I mean, you, oh, you're just out of this world, you know. But, you know, you, you can do those things that God still not have a very high thought about you. You know it? Because Monday, you were in bed with a prostitute, the world. Tuesday, you was in bed with another prostitute, the world. Wednesday, you were in bed with another prostitute, the world. You know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Six days out of the seven, you spiritually were in bed with a prostitute. You never talked to God. You didn't thank Him for nothing. You're busy doing your own thing. You're putting everything before Him. And you're committing spiritual adultery. And then you want to know after... A year or five years or ten years or twenty years, you want to know why all of a sudden you come down with a very serious illness. Was God pretty merciful? Yeah. You know, when I learned these principles, I think about this gentleman that was a great Sunday school teacher. I mean, he was a great youth leader. He worked in the church. He wrote articles about God. He was awesome. And... Then I lost touch with him. He went his way and I went mine. And then at about 55 years old, I heard he was in the hospital with brain tumors. So I drove down three and a half hours to where he was. And actually it was Brownwood, Texas is where he was in the hospital. About three hour drive down there. I went down there and here this guy sitting in a ICU room that looked like he was 80 or 90 years old. I mean, he looked awful. At 55. That's how old I was at the time, 55. He was my friend. I prayed over him. He didn't recognize me or nothing. They sent him down to San Antonio. He had been an ex-GI. And they took the top of his head off and done surgery. And they said he had brain tumors, many of them. The doctor said they took some of the big ones out. But they said the little ones, there's no way they could get them all. The doctor said, if God doesn't intervene, this guy's going to die. When I see back in those days, I didn't understand. God did intervene. That's why He was in the shape He was in. Mm-hmm. That's the part we miss about God. Mm-hmm. Most people don't think that God will do this to you, but His Word says He will. Now then, this man, I went, after they sent him back to Goldsway to the rest home, I went down to see him again. I thought, well, I'll go down there and get him healed. You know, I've learned about God's Word. So I went down there. And I spent all day with him. Now, when I walked into that room, I walked in and I met a woman. I said, ma'am, who are you? She said, I'm his wife. I said, oh, I didn't know he was married. And she said, "Uh, yeah, I married him about ten years ago. 
I said, you've been married before? No, he's my only husband. I said, well, he's a great guy. She said, oh yeah, I really love him. He's a great man. I said, where do you all go to church? She told me over to Little Baptist Church in a certain town. And I said, well, how many times have you been? I See, this is the Spirit prompting me. I, why would I ask a question like yeah. that? Yeah. See, God knew what He was doing. He knew what He was going to use this for in the future and everything. When I said, how many times have you all been? She said, oh, five or six. I said, five or six? I said, this is the middle of the year. I said, you've only been to church five or six times this year? Oh, no. She said, we've only been to church five or six times since we got married ten years ago. I said, ma'am, I said, you're supposed to be in church. She said, I don't believe you have to go to church to worship God. I said, but see, ma'am, that does not line up with the Word. The Word says in Hebrews 10.25, Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis, as a manner of some are. And even the more so in these last days as you see the day of the Lord approaching. You need to be in church. Well, I don't, I don't agree with that, she said. I said, well, it don't do, in other words, I thought to myself, it doesn't do any good to argue with somebody that thinks they know everything. There's only one book you're going to be judged around. It's the Word of the living God. It don't matter what you think. It don't matter what I think. If what I tell you today doesn't line up what's written in this book, you can throw it out the window. But if it lines up with what the book says, you better listen. Now, some of the things I may teach you may not want to hear. You know, a lot of people are like that. In fact, Ty told me a long time ago, he said, Thurman, you won't never have to worry about having a great big church. He <laughs> said, people don't like to hear what you've got to say. Well, what I've got to say is what God says. You know, and so if you, want to, if you want to walk in divine health, you're going to have to do it His way. You know, not mine, not the world's way. But if you will do it His way, and I believe with all my heart, since I've taught His Word just like it's written, I believe with all my heart that's why God has done the mighty miracles and healings that He's done for us in this little ministry. Because we have seen thousands of people healed. But this man, after I prayed for him, I spent all day long with him and prayed for him and quoted the Word of God to him all day long. And after I, I mean, I'd done everything I knew to do. I spoke the Word of God over him. I laid hands on him. I anointed him with oil. I did everything I knew to do from the Word of God. And I spent, I, I can't spend this kind of time with everybody. But, uh, you know, I did because he was a great close friend of mine. So I spent from, what, 10 o'clock that morning to 4 o'clock that afternoon. That's about six hours with one man trying to get him healed. And then at the end of the day, I turned look, I said, Called his name and I said, Who am I? He ain't said a word all day long. He just kind of gently turned his head around and looked me right now and he says, You're a Thurman Scrivener. I said, Praise God, you're going to get healed. I know you're going to get healed. I praised the king all the way home, three hours back home, praising him, thanking him for healing this man. That was on Monday. On Thursday, he died. I said, they called me and said, He died. I said, What? I began to petition the Lord, Lord, what did I do wrong? Well, I went to his funeral. I went back down there on Sunday. I went to his funeral on Sunday. And after I watched him put him in the ground, this 55-year-old man, on the way home, I said, Now, Lord, you have spoken to me many times in an audible voice. I said, Now, I got to know what I did wrong. I said, I know you said in Psalm 66, 18, 
In John 9.31, you will not hear the prayer of a sinner. Now, Lord, if i got a sin in my life that's preventing me to get through to you, now, if God said in His Word, He will not hear the prayer of a sinner, if you've got an unconfessed sin in your life, does it do any good to come and petition Him for something? No. He won't hear you. You've got to put your sin under the blood. You've got to confess the sin and be restored to fellowship. Then when you pray, He'll hear you. See, that's another principle that most Christians, like I was for years, I didn't know that. You know, I, I go to church, and I went to church. I was raised in church. I never saw God answer a prayer. I hardly ever prayed. You know why I pray? Because He don't do nothing. You know? You know, there's got to be a problem here. And I didn't realize the problem was not with Him. The problem was right here. <laughs> it wasn't very far away. You know? So, you know, if you're doing anything wrong, you're sinning anyway, and you haven't confessed that sin, you have become a sinner, and God won't hear your prayer. So, I didn't know these principles. But now then, of course, after I began to study the Word, I saw the principle. So, I, I thought maybe there was something I had done wrong why this man didn't get healed. So, I said, Father, please, i got to know what i done wrong. If i done something wrong, I want to know what I did because I know that... In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, you said all of your promises are yes and amen every time. Now, if all of God's promises are yes and amen every time, then why don't they work for us? Well, see, there's got to be a problem. The problem never with Him. The problem's always right here. Always. It ain't never with God. It's always right here. If we don't get our sins confessed, He's not going to answer our prayer. So if we don't spend time with Him, out of His mercy, sometimes He heals some of us anyway. But if you really want to get healed, you start doing it His way, He'll heal you every time. Now, I've seen that many times. So, well, this guy didn't get healed. He died. And so I am petitioning the Lord. I want to know what i done wrong or what happened, what went wrong. Because I know His promises are yes and amen. I know if I lay hands on the sick and drive out the Spirit, they're supposed to get healed. But he didn't get healed. I know if I anoint him with oil and pray the prayer of faith over him, he's supposed to get healed. God promised he would. But he didn't get healed. He died. So I want to know. I know all these mighty promises of God. But I want to know what I did wrong. So after three, almost three hours of petitioning the Lord, Lord, what did I do wrong? I said, Lord, please, i got to hear from you. i got to know what I did wrong. And about two and a half to three hours later, the Lord spoke to me in a voice just like I'm hearing my own voice right now. He said, Son, you didn't do anything wrong. He said, The problem was His. And He said, The answer to your question about what happened to Him is in John 15:2." Well, now, I went to John 15:2 because at that time I didn't have John 15:2 committed to memory. And after I read it, I had read it many times, but obviously I didn't believe what it said. John 15, 2, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branch. And every branch in me that produces no fruit, I cut it off. Ooh! Is that scary? So now then, what if he had not produced fruit in the first six months after he married this woman... How long would he have lived if God was not merciful? He'd have six months. He'd have cut him off. But did he cut him off in six months? 
He stopped going to church for ten years. Now, I don't know about you, but if you was the best employee I ever had and you'd work for me night and day for 20 years and you had a two-week paid vacation and I gave you a two-week paid vacation and after the two weeks you've called and said, Thurman, I've been enjoying this vacation, so I believe I'm just going to take two more. I said, well, if you can't make it no other way, yeah, I'm going to take two more. Okay, so at the end of the two weeks, they called back and said, hey, send me my paycheck. I said, hey, you only get two weeks paid vacation. I'm giving you the next two, you know, just out of grace, but you don't get no money to go with it. Now, you need to be at work Monday morning. No, I've decided I'm just going to not work, but I want you to send me my paycheck every week anyway. You ain't going to do that, are you, girl? Now, wait a minute now. How, how merciful is God? Did He continue to provide the man with an income? Did He continue to provide him with food and, and health and air to breathe and a house to live in for ten years? And He produced how much fruit? Nothing. He totally quit. He said, that's... And when I told the Lord, when I read that, I said, Lord, you cut him off. He said, yes, just like I said. I, I give him ten years to repent. And he didn't. And so he said, I just cut him off. He said, I cut his tree down. He said, if he's not going to produce fruit down there on earth for me, I don't need him down there. So I cut him off. I said, Lord, it wasn't really his fault. It was that woman's fault. (laughs) I mean, after all, didn't she tell me she's the one that got him out of church? So, I mean, what else am I going to say to the Lord? Lord, it was that woman. It wasn't him. But you know what God told me? He said, I didn't put her in charge. I don't hold her accountable. He said, but I put him in charge. My men are my spiritual leaders. They're the ones I hold accountable. He said, I do hold them accountable. I thought, wow. That ought to be scary for every man. You know it? Especially a man that says he's a Christian that won't take his wife to church and his children to church. And then one day, he's 50 or 55 years old and he gets a wake-up call. He has a heart attack. And all the things he loved to do, you know, go out of the country, vacation homes here and there, run his business night and day, powerful money, land, Everything. And then all of a sudden, produce no fruit for the kingdom. Do you go to church? Oh, yeah, when I'm at home, I go to church when I have time. How many times do you think you go to church? Well, I usually make it two or three times a month anyway. At least twice a month. Well, do you read the Word during the week? Oh, no, I ain't got time. I mean, I don't take a Bible with me when I go. I got that for Sunday when I go to church. I leave it sitting on the counter. And then at 55... He comes down with a heart attack. And now all of a sudden his money and his power, his wealth and his home and everything he has takes on a whole new light. Somebody says, what would have happened if you had died instead of just having a heart attack? Where would you have went? Well, gee, I don't know. I hope to heaven. He needs to get some things straight, doesn't he? Why do you think God gave him that heart attack? To wake him up. Exactly right. 
wake him up. Now then, if you're producing fruit for the kingdom, what if you're out there producing fruit for the kingdom? In other words, the Word of God, you're studying it every day. I mean, you're in the Word. You're studying, you've made Jesus Lord of your life. You're in the Word of God. You're studying the Word of God. I mean, you're spending time with God. You're waking up in the morning telling the king when you wake up. I mean, think about this as a man to his wife. You know, you know are you married, young lady? No. no? Okay, but you're a woman. You're a woman. If, you're, if you had a husband and he woke up in the morning and he looked over at you and told you, you're the most beautiful thing I ever saw, I just won't tell you how much I love you. Will it make you feel good? Of course. Of course. See, she's a normal woman, see? I never seen a woman that didn't like for her spouse or husband to tell her that he loved her. In fact, they like to just have people tell you, you know, you're beautiful. You know, I think you're really nice. That, I mean, they tell you that in the right way. You even enjoy that, right? I mean, I never seen a woman. It's just like when I met my wife, Cheryl, years ago in a Kinko's copy store. You know, I mean, I was having some copies made there, and she was having some copies made. And whenever I had this Jesus the Healer, she looked over my shoulder and she said, Jesus the Healer? You've seen Jesus heal people? I said, oh, yes, ma'am. She said, could I have one of those? So I got one, and I turned and handed it to her. And when she took it, I said, ma'am, you sure are a beautiful lady. But see, I said it the right way. See, I looked her right straight in the eye, and I told her, I said, you sure are a beautiful lady. And she said, well, thank you, sir. And I handed her the item, and I turned and walked off. And as I walked off, she said, gee, what a nice man. He wasn't hitting on me. Now, see, if I'd have looked at her and I said, whoa, you sure beautiful. You know what I'm thinking then, don't you? See? You see the difference? You know, when you look at a lady and say, you know, you sure are nice. I sure do like you. You know, looking you right in the eye, you feel safe with a man like that. But if a man walks up to you and says, whoa, you're nice. He's looking at you all over. He says, whoa, let me keep my distance away from this guy. You girls know where I'm coming from? But see, God wants you to look him in the eye every morning and say, Lord... I sure do love you. I sure do praise you. Yes, Lord, I worship you. You get in that Word and read the Word. Now then, if you're in the Word, you're worshiping the King, you're walking and loving, you're keeping the commandment, I command you, He said, to love me with all your heart. How much of your heart? Oh, so that's not just a little piece over here in the corner, is it? That's all of it. That's what He said. That's what He meant, right? So you tell Him you love Him. You hide His Word in your heart. You read the book. You study the book. I mean, you're just praising and worshiping the King. And you just can't wait to wake up in the morning to praise the King. You happen to wake up in the night. I, let's just say, you wake up in the middle of the night, you, you drink a couple of extra cups of hot tea or something, and you can't make it all night long. So you wake up in the middle of the night, and you've got to wake up to go to the bathroom. And you wake up, and as soon as you wake up, you say, Lord, thank you that I need to go to the bathroom. You go in there and sit down on the potty and say, Lord, I want to thank you that all the organs in my body work perfect. I want to praise you for every one of them. Some people have never thanked Him for those internal organs. But let me tell you, you don't know how much you need to thank Him because one of them things goes wrong. I mean, and they're in their surgery cutting you open. You'll think, oh God, what could I have done different? He said, you could have praised me and this wouldn't have happened to you. See? But we don't praise Him. But just think, 
If you do what He says, if you hide His Word in your heart and you walk in obedience to His Word, then where we was in John 15, 2, go down just a few more verses of John 15, 7 and see if you meet the if requirement there, what He says He will do for you in John 15, 7. If. That's a requirement, isn't it? Biggest word in the Bible. If my words remain in you, and if you remain in me, Somebody, has anybody got that scripture? John fifteen seven. What What does John fifteen seven, brother? Said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And then the eighth verse: By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. If we believe that verse right there, then why in the world aren't we in the Word every day? I am. Oh, you are. <laughs> You've learned that, right? <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. In other words, you believe the King, don't you, brother? Now then, if you remain in Him and His words remain in you, when He says you can come and ask me for anything, that's amazing, isn't it? Now, you see the difference? If we don't do what He says, then what did it bring? Sickness and disease and premature death. But if we're in His Word and do what He says, what does it bring? You can ask Him for what? Anything. And through the course of a day, if you need direction on something, you need to be led by the Spirit, you ask the Lord every day, you get up in the morning, the normal Christian, we should, when we wake up in the morning, the first thing we should say after we say, Good morning, Lord, I sure do love you today. We should say, I'll ask you to bless and guide and direct everything I do today. So that everything I do that will be in accordance with your word and according to your will. And Lord, if you got anybody out there that's sick and afflicted that needs to be healed, or you got anybody out there that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I don't want anybody to die and go to hell. Nobody. Lord, you sent your son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross so nobody would have to go to this place called hell. Nobody. But, Lord, they're going there all the time. And they're going because people like me don't tell people about you. And so, how shall they know except someone be sent to tell them? Because the people that are lost, they ain't going to come to church. I mean, church? Who, I mean, church? Give me a break. Who wants to go down to that bunch of crazy Christian people? You know, who wants to go in there and sit there and listen to some guy talk about something? You know, who knows? Who wants to do that? You know, I'd a whole lot rather go to the football game. Or I'd rather go down to the bar and drink with the guys, you know, or the girls. And I'd rather dance on the stage. I'd rather do something that's fun. You know, who wants to do this crazy stuff Christians do? I mean, you know, they all said Christians, if you dance, you can't go to heaven anyway, you know. You know. Have you ever heard that? Sure. And you can't wear makeup either. Oh, if you wear makeup, you're going to hell, sure is the world. Who wants to go to a place like that? You know. Well, see... It's all done because we don't know what the Word says. We don't know the freedom we have in Christ. But we have great freedom in Christ. And when we, when we get that freedom and we walk into God kind of love and we hide His Word in our heart and do exactly what the King says, not only will He not cut your tree down, but He will fertilize and water your tree so it becomes a great big blossoming, beautiful green tree that produces great fruit for the kingdom of God. You know, you'll be like that that big pecan tree right down by the pecan bio, you know. 
and that water for them roots are running down into that water and then big old pecans are coming forth and I'm telling you the pecans are falling all over the place and you can go down and just sit down and don't even have to shake the tree. They're just falling off all around you. Pick up your breakers and cut them open and eat pecans all day. That's the kind of tree we're supposed to be. We're supposed to produce that kind of fruit. We're not supposed to be sick and afflicted. We're supposed to be fruit bearers. But because we're not fruit bearers, that's why many of us get sick and we come down with premature death. And so that's what we're here to do, to teach you these principles so when you leave here, you will realize the importance of the number one commandment. That's where you got to start. You need to go back if you've never read those Ten Commandments. Everybody has. But you know, we don't want the Ten Commandments in schools. We don't want the Ten Commandments on the walls of judges. Can you imagine in America a judge can be thrown out of his own court because he's got the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall? I'm telling you, we are living in a sick state of affairs, folks. You know, and that's why this nation is being judged. That's why the Judgments are coming upon it. That's why the devastating storms and the hurricanes and the floods and the mudslides and everything else is coming to America. It's a wake-up call from God to let us know. And that's why, bringing it down to a more personal level, that's why we have sickness and disease. That's why things happen to us in our families. Our children are sick. We're sick. All kinds of things are happening because it's a wake-up call. God's trying to tell you, hey, I want a church that's walking in love with me. I want a church that's walking in love with their neighbor. I want a church that's willing to do what I say. And if you're not willing to do that, then get ready for a wake-up call. Don't you dare hold a grudge against somebody because if you do, it's going to open the door to the devil for you, your spouse, and your whole family. You know? Obviously, the church don't know these things. Now then, as we've taught these things and taught people to get their sins repented of, and then I've learned, just like Psalm 103, even back under the law, the Lord says, forget not all the Lord's benefits. Here's the Lord's benefits. Number one, Psalm 103, if you don't have this committed to memory, you need to commit Psalm 103 to memory. Or at least the first few verses. Psalm 103 Forget not all the Lord's benefits. He forgives all of your sins, all of your iniquities. How many? But you've got to ask. He don't forgive till you ask. So, if you carry them, you're lining yourself up for judgment. That's why that if you sin, immediately you should run to Daddy and say, Lord, I'm sorry I've made a mistake. I repent. I will walk in love with you and everybody around. I will love my brothers. I will love my wife or my husband. You know, Lord, you say, love my husband? That critter? i got to love him? Yeah. That's like a lady come to church one time. She sat right here on the front row, right there where you're sitting. And she had a sick, seriously sick child. And that was going to be in a wheelchair shortly. And he was about eight years old. And then she had two younger ones that had allergies and asthma and they were sick all the time. And she had had three miscarriages in nine years. So technically she had killed three. And three others are sick. 
She came here. She said, Mr. Scribner, I've heard about your ministry, and I want to talk to you about my situation. And as she talked to me, I said, well, what's your love walk like with you and your husband? Well, she said, uh, I'm just about ready for a divorce. I said, okay, there's the problem. That's why your children are sick, and that's why y'all are having all the problems you're having. I said, because you're not obeying your husband. She said, now, wait a minute. I got to obey my husband? I said, is he a godly man? Oh, yes. Did he go to church? He serves God. I said, okay, then yes, you got to obey him. She said, no, no, can't do that. Can't do that. I said, well, if you don't obey him, you're disobeying and you're breaking God's commandment and your children are going to get sicker and sicker and who knows, one of them may die. And I said, you'd hate to kill one, wouldn't you? She said, well, I've already had three miscarriages. I said, so you've already killed three. Had three babies in your womb that have died. So you've already killed three. And I said, if, until you repent and tell God you're sorry and start obeying your husband and do what you're told in the Word of God, I said, you're never going to have any uh, prosperity. You're never going to have any uh, health in your home. In fact, I said, that eight-year-old you say is going to be in a wheelchair in another year, yeah, that's, that's where he'll be. And I said, you are the problem in your home. Now, how many women like to hear that? No, there ain't none of them like to hear that. I, I am not the I said, yes, ma'am, you are the problem. And so she stormed out of here. And as she stormed out of here, I said, ask God. Ma'am, ask the Lord. He'll tell you. Along the way home, she's fussy. God, this preacher, he's crazy. And the Lord spoke to her and said, no, Terry, he's not crazy. He told you the exact truth. He said, now, Terry, did not tell you in my word to submit to me? Well, yes, Lord. I don't have a problem submitting to you. He said, what does submit mean, Terry? Well, God, it means obey you. Okay, I don't have a problem with that, God. I'll obey you. Did I tell you to submit to your husband? <laughs> yes. Well, does it mean obey? She said, I will never obey my husband. It'll be over his dead body. The Lord spoke to her and said, No, Terry, it'll be over your children's dead bodies. She said, He said, You need to go back and talk to Thurman. So she came back and she said, The Lord told me I need to talk to you. <laughs> so we sat down and had a nice long talk. You know, after God tells her to come back, it's a little easier for me to talk to her now. <laughs> After the king says he wasn't telling you a lie, he was telling you the truth, you need to go back and talk to him. It's a whole lot easier for God, for a woman to talk to me, you know, about something so controversial as this, because this was something so foreign. So she said, what do I have to do? I said, the first thing you need to do is you need to ask the Lord to forgive you. I said, you have a grudge or something against your husband? Oh, yeah, he said he'd done something about the first year. I got an unforgiveness toward him, and I, I just, I, I'm never going to forgive him for what he did. I said, you're going to have to forgive him. If you don't, your problems are never going to go away. I said, see, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, Jesus made you this statement. Matthew chapter 18. Peter was walking along the Sea of Galilee with our king one day, and he said, Master, how many times do I have to forgive a brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? He thought he was on safe ground, right? 
I mean, Lord, if I forgive him seven times in one day, that should be enough for anybody. Jesus said, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, wait a minute. That's a whole lot more, isn't it? I mean, you know, if your mate does something against you one time today, okay, you reach up and grab him by the nap of the neck and said, I'm going to forgive you this time, but don't you do it again. Is that kind of the way we do it? We may forgive you once, but you do it twice today, forget it. I ain't talking to you for a week. I know none of y'all ever done nothing like this. I know you girls are never, and guys, I know we would never do such a thing as like this. But we're stupid. <laughs> you know, we're human. And we do this. But anyway, the Lord says, no, 70 times 7. In other words, you're never to be provoked out of love. You know how hard that is? You know, in fact, I taught on love here a while back in church. And when I came to 1 Corinthians 13, love is not easily provoked. What does that mean? Love is not easily provoked. Oh, I'll tell you what that means. Okay, you do something bad to me one time, I say, okay, you're my friend. Shake hands with you. I'll forgive you this time. I'll go on. Tomorrow, come back and you do the same thing. And I said, okay, I'm going to forgive you again. But don't you do that again. See? Tomorrow, come by and you do the same thing again. You said, that's it. See? You lose your cool with that person. See? See? So, I'm walking in love as a Christian. I think it says love is not easily provoked. Now, I was not provoked the first time, the second time. But, okay, three times is more than I can stand. Now I'm going to get even with you, see. Now, the word in the Greek easily is not there. Love is never provoked. You do something I don't like today, I just say, you know, I forgive you and love you anyway. Shake your hand and go on. Tomorrow I come back, you do the same thing. Ten days later, every day you've done the same thing. I treat you the same way. I love you anyway. Praise God. Now, see, that's what the Scripture says we're supposed to do as Christians. Love is never provoked. How many people do you know can do that? i got to go pray for patience in the corner. <laughs> but you see how easy it is to be provoked. I mean, the most of us say, well, don't you do that to me again. You did it to me once, but you do it one more time, Buster, and it's over. Is that the way we are? Unfortunately. But see, that's not God's way. It's, we're not supposed to be easily provoked. We're supposed to go on and, and we're supposed to walk into God kind of love. And by walking into God kind of love, then we don't ever let these things come back and cause a problem that will take us down. So this unforgiveness, Matthew eighteen nineteen, Matthew eighteen, twenty one through thirty five, it says there that we're not to hold any kind of a grudge at all, and Jesus said to forgive forty seventy times Seven, four hundred and ninety times. And this is why. He said there was a king. The kingdom of heaven is like this. He's given us a parable of what the kingdom is like. He said there was a king that had servants. And that servant had a servant that... Uh, the king had a servant that owed him 10,000 talents. That's about $4 billion. That's just a little bitty debt, isn't it? I mean, that's about how much... 
You know, lots of people owe today, isn't it? We've got a few people out there that's got a few thousand dollars on their credit cards, you know, that's got these huge interest debts. So anyway, they owe about that much. Four billion dollars. So 10,000 talents is not just a little bitty debt, is it? So the king says, you know, it's time you paid me that four billion you owe me. That sounds a little different than the 10,000 talents, doesn't it? See, I mean, 10,000 talents, that don't sound like... No, we think, well, that's $10,000, right? No, no, no. Their money back then, when you converted to our money today, the difference is $4 billion. So you owed me $4 billion? Is that a pretty big debt? Huge. Huge, that's right. Even for... I mean, even for Ty as a doctor, that's huge money for even for him. I mean, four bit now, maybe a, a ten thousand wouldn't be much to him, but four billion—that's pretty good size money even for you, right, Ty? <laughs> oh goodness gracious! But you think about this: he owes his money, and the king says he comes to him and said, "Okay, it's time for you to pay me everything you owe me." He says, "Lord, I can't pay you. I don't have the money." Oh, he said, okay, then because you can't pay me, I'm going to sell you and your spouse and your children and your lands and your houses and all that you owe to pay your debt. Now, see, there's a great secret hidden right there that most people never see. And it took me years to dig this out. Who's going to pay the price for the debt? The whole family and everything, every asset he has. That included his children. Didn't it say his wife? His children. Everything, right? They're all going to pay. Everybody's going to pay. So he said that servant fell down and worshipped the Lord. Now, what did he do right? He worshipped. You want to get healed? The first thing you've got to learn to do is worship. If you're not willing to humble, humble yourself and bow before the king and worship the king... Chances are you may spend a long time before you get healed. Because if there's anything I've learned God likes, it's worship. He talks about that a lot in His Word, doesn't He? Amen. And He's worthy of our worship and praise. And when you learn He's the only one that can set you free, it makes it a whole lot easier to worship the King. You know, you worship Him. But just like this guy, this guy fell and he worshiped the Lord. And said, Lord, please be patient with me. If you'll just give me a little more time, I will pay you the whole $4 billion. Pretty good-sized debt, isn't it? The man had great faith. And the king, to tell you how wealthy the king is, he said, Well, since you're such a nice guy and you worshipped me like you did and you pleaded for me to give you a little mercy, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to forgive that $4 billion. I'm going to write it off. Would that make you a happy camper? So, your debt that you owed for all the things you owed in the past for all your sins because of the blood of Jesus, He's wiping that out. He washed it clean. Now, you don't owe a debt no more. Now, see, you've got to get this in perspective. He's forgiven you. Now then, He says, He goes out, this forgiven guy, He goes out and finds a little guy that owes Him $3,000. Now, what's the difference between 3000 and $4 billion? Oh, not much, is it? <laughs> Just a little. So, see, in other words, that would be kind of like Bill Gates. You say, go walk in and say, if Bill was your daddy, you know, if he had any children. Go walk in and say, Dad, I need 3000 to go down and buy me a whatever. Reach in his front pockets. Oh, he's, i got a little change here. Oh, yeah, okay. Here are three $1,000 bills. Here, go take it. You know, no problem. 
rolls the rest of that big old roll up, puts it back in his pocket. That's kind of where he lives, isn't it? You know, he could do that. You know, three billion to a guy like Bill Gates is nothing because he's got billions. You know, billions. So, but with God, he's got everything. It all belongs to him. So, this man that just been forgiven the four billion comes up to a little guy, say that three thousand dollars you owe me, I want it, and I want it right now. And that little person says, "But I'm sorry, I can't pay you right now. I, I don't have the three thousand dollars, but I will pay it to you." He reaches over, grabs him by the neck, starts shaking him, and says, "No, I'm not going to forgive you. Give me that three thousand dollars now. I'm going to put you in jail." I mean, this is what the Scripture says happened. And the guy said, I can't pay. He said, throw him in jail. So they come got him and throw him in jail for 3000 lousy dollars. He's just been forgiven himself for $4 billion. And it says the servants saw what happened. And they come to the king. They said, Lord, that servant over there that you just forgive the $4 billion, he had a little guy that owed him $3,000 and he wouldn't forgive him and he had him put in jail. He said, go get that guy. Go get that wicked servant and bring him in here. And they went and got the wicked servant and he said, didn't I forgive you that $4 billion just because you asked me? Shouldn't you at least have forgiven your brother for that little dinky debt that he owed you? Now, because you didn't forgive him, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to turn... You owe me that $4 billion now? I'm not going to forgive it, and I'm going to throw you into the tormentors. I'm going to turn the devil and the demons loose on you and your whole family. until, And you're going to be tormented night and day until you pay me that whole $4 billion you owe me. And so sickness and disease comes upon your body. Sickness and disease comes upon your spouse's body. Sickness and disease comes upon your children's body. Your bank account goes flat. Your car, you have a crash in your car, you wreck it. Or you have an airplane and the engine fails in flight and you have a crash and you and your whole family get killed in flight, you know, when you hit the ground. Serious stuff, isn't it? People never put the two together. Guys flying along and say, you know, I hate sister so-and-so. And all of a sudden, I don't, I don't know if this is what happened. I'm just, this is, uh, let's just say that I know it recently this did really happen to an airplane in California, but I have no idea about the family, so, but I'm just saying something like this could happen. You're flying along at 10,000 feet in a composite airplane, and a buzzard flying along at 10,000 hits the right wing and breaks the wing off, and you spiral down from 10,000 feet and kill you and your wife. That really happened just recently. wonder why. There was a reason. There was a reason. But we don't know. So... When we begin to look at our life and we see this man that had this gross unforgiveness, he was turned over to the devil and his demons. But see, in verse 35 of the Scripture, Jesus clearly told Peter. He said, Now, Peter, this is the way my heavenly Father will do each one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. Is that what he said? So any Christian that's read that Scripture, that got any kind of revelation on that, would any Christian ever hold a grudge against anybody for anything? Well, if you hold a grudge against anybody for anything, and if you are a child of God, what's that going to do? That's going to turn you and your entire family over to the devil and his demons. 
You know, now the devil's sitting up there walking around. He's up here. He's got his scope out saying, let's see, who's got unforgiveness out there? And all of a sudden, he spots one of us. Oh, he said, there's one that's got unforgiveness right there. He said, demons, go get them. See, he's been given that power by God whenever we get into unforgiveness. That's his job to torment us. God don't have to send him. God's already told him what he's got to do. He said, whenever my children don't forgive, I'll send you. You can go torment them. Is that scary? Now then, how do you keep the devil off of your back? Walk in love. Is that the easy way? That's just like over in 1 Corinthians. You may remember, some people may have read this a jillion times and never picked up on it. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, if there's anything to be forgiven, forgive. I have forgiven everybody because we are not unaware of the devil's ways. What did he mean by that? He told me, if there's anything to be forgiven, I forgive. Because we're not unaware of the devil's ways. So, we know what the devil does. We've read the book. We know that the devil has been given legal right to come torment us when we walk in unforgiveness. And not only does he have legal right, if you get in unforgiveness, the devil don't just have legal right to you. It's legal right to your wife, your children, your lands, your houses, your bank accounts, your cars, everything you have. he break them all. He loves it. When I learned these principles, I have got a lot of people healed. A lot of people. Now, just like Terry and Frank, they had this unforgiveness. And their life was falling apart and their children were falling apart. And after she got a hold of this and I explained all these things to her, I said, ma'am, because of your unforgiveness, that's what's sending the devil to torment you and your children. And that's why you've lost three children and miscarried them. And that's why your other three are sick. And she said, you mean if I will forgive my husband and I'll walk in love with God and I'll walk in love with my husband, God will heal all of my children. I said, guarantee it. Guarantee it. We'll take away the devil's legal right. So she repented right there and asked the Lord to forgive her. She goes home, and when she goes home, she walks into the bedroom, and Frank was already in bed. She walks up and says, Frank, we've got to talk. Frank thought, uh-oh, here it comes. And he said, she wants a divorce, and I am ready. He said, okay, what do we need to talk about? She said, Frank, I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. I love you. And I will obey you. He fell out of the bed on his face. <laughs> that couple fell back into madly in love with each other. They started serving the Lord. I mean, everything. And then we prayed over all three of those children. And just about six months later, they were going to take the oldest one back to uh, the Dallas, I believe it was Dallas Medical Hospital. It already done surgery on one leg. The other leg was impossible. They said it couldn't be done. But they were on the way down there, and the Lord spoke to Terry and said, Terry, today y'all are going to be put to the test. When God tells you you're going to be put to the test, you don't know whether to jump up and down and praise Him or run backwards. You don't know what He means. He doesn't always tell you everything. But anyway, they get down to the hospital, and the doctors examine the boy, 
and the doctors come back and say, we don't understand what's going on. The right leg that was so bad is getting better and the left leg, which was beyond surgery, is now to a point where we could do surgery on it and maybe save it where he won't be an invalid. And the little boy said, Daddy, please let him do the surgery. Now, Daddy and Mama's thinking, no. No. This is what the test was. We're going to be tested to see if we're going to use the doctors or we're going to trust God. And they, Frank and Terry said, no. And the little boy screamed and said, Please, Mother, I want to walk. They said, No, son. No surgery. No surgery. Well, within another six months, the little boy was completely healed. And today, three or four years later, he's playing football. And there's nothing wrong with him. And the other two, which had the allergies and asthma, have not been sick a single day. And both this family were on James Robertson and told a little bit of their story the other day on national television. Now then, when you obey God, isn't He good? Now, if you disobey, did He want that man and woman to have sick children? No. Whose fault was it? God's? No. God made the rules, didn't He? He told them what to do. Did they do it? No. They disobeyed. Now, is God a respecter of persons? He doesn't care who you are. See, this is the beautiful thing about God. You can have children and you love your little daughter more than you do your little son, you know. Or because she's a girl, you'll let her get by with a little more than him. But if the boy does something, you say, you wait when your daddy gets home this afternoon. I'm going to have him take a belt to your backside. Your little daughter done something twice that bad, but you put your arm around and say, Honey, don't do that. I, I might have to get tell Daddy about this if you do this again. You know. So see, you're a respecter of persons. And we're not supposed to do that either. But God is not. It makes no difference if you're man, woman, boy, or girl. You break His rules. Now, He is merciful. Because if He wasn't merciful... She wouldn't have had any of them children alive. They'd all been dead after the first year. When she got that unforgiveness, all of them would have died and said it is three. But now then once she and her husband, and of course she's written this article up, and since she came here, she told me, she said, they did it. The pastor of the church, they go to a big church over here in South Lake, and the pastor of that church's wife wrote a book, and she put a chapter in it about Terry and Frank, about this miracle. And so they wanted the book to sell. So they had Terry and Frank on there with them when they advertised the book. And Terry said, I so wanted, said, James so controlled what we said that day that I wanted to say, I learned these things at the Living Savior Church, not at our church, but he wouldn't let me say that. It don't matter where you learn them as long as you learn them. That's all I want you to know is I want you to know that God is real and He's made a set of rules and it makes no difference. Just like He says, anybody that comes to Me and accepts Me, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can get to the Father in heaven by coming through Me. Now, if you don't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, He said, all that do not serve Me and love Me shall not go to heaven. So there's only one other place to go. You know where that is? This place called the Lake of Fire. Now, can you imagine spending eternity in a lake of fire? No. Who would want to go there? Nobody. And God don't want nobody to go there either. But He made a set of rules. 
He said, if you'll come acknowledge me as Lord and Savior. Do you believe in Jesus as your Savior? You know you're going to heaven, don't you? You've been washed in the blood, right? If you hadn't been, you would be, wouldn't you? Amen. Amen. Is that the best decision you ever made in your life? Yes. Is anybody in here that's ever accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Let me ask you this question. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're sorry you made that decision, I want you to hold up your hand. Wow, not a single taker. So there's not anybody here sorry they made Jesus Lord of your life. Well, I guarantee, I am not sorry I made Him Lord of my life either. I guarantee. But those of us that are in here today, He wants us to know His principles. He wants us to walk in the God kind of love. And He wants us to keep His love. And He said, by this, by my love. And He said, and He knew how you and me were going to be. That's why He said, I command you to love one another. Then He turned around again and said, did you hear me? I command you to love one another. And then He turned around a minute later and said, I command you to love one another. And then about the seventh time, He says, I command you to love one another. And somebody said, well, some people it's easy to love, some are hard. He said, I know, that's why I told you seven times. <laughs> you think He wants us to love one another? I mean, He didn't just tell us. He commanded us, didn't He, Ty? This is my commandment. Just like the Ten Commandments under the Old Covenant, He made Ten Commandments. Under the New Commandment, He made one. <laughs> and He said, if you walk in this love, all of the ten are fulfilled in this, that you love me and then love your neighbor as yourself. That is the only commandment God gave us in the New Covenant. Now, He said, if you don't do that, then technically speaking, you fall from grace. If you don't walk in love, you fall from grace. And when you fall from grace, there's only one place to fall. That's back under the law. So when you fall back under the law, like I made this this little example a while ago. I don't know if you picked up on it. When I was talking to her about a son and a daughter. She had a son and a daughter, and she showed a little favoritism between the son and the daughter. Did you know God tells you in His Word, you are not to show favoritism? How many people do that? Hmm? Lots of people do that. Now then, he went so far in the book of James to say, if you show favoritism, now of course, the example he used there, now this will make people sick. They don't understand it. He says, you have a rich man come in. I mean, this guy comes in, he's dripping with diamonds, you know. He's got $500 shoes on. He's got a $3,000 jacket on, you know. And, I, I mean, I'm one of those kind of guys that knows all the names of stuff, you know. Uh, I know, uh, uh, let's see, what do you call it? Uh, uh, <laughs> Walmart. <laughs> I go up and I pull his coat open and it don't say Walmart inside. It says something else. Got some name I ain't never heard of. I know that must be expensive. It looks good. I mean, he's really something else. And I say, whoa, brother, come over here. Let me bring you, set you right here on the front row. I want you to have a good seat. Then I walk up and I see this guy walk in, you know. I say, wow, you're a scrunchy looking guy. You got on a $2 pair of boots and an old county shirt and blue jeans and all this kind of stuff. You ain't got no money. Let's set you back here on the back, on the back, see. But see, we go by what we see, see. 
And the Lord said, if you do that, you have shown respect to persons. And he said, you are a sinner. And he said, you have failed from grace and you've transgressed the law of God. And he said, when you transgressed the law of God and you showed favoritism you're, and you've broken the law, when you break one facet of the law, you've broken all the law, which he says in the book of James, you're now guilty of murder and adultery. Just because you showed favoritism. You're guilty of murder and adultery. Who would ever dream to show favoritism between these two guys? I'm guilty of murder and adultery. I fell back under the law. So Satan has legal right to attack me and torment me and make me sick and afflict me. See? Now, if we, if we knew these principles, it'd make different Christians out of us. That's a good thing. God's merciful. If He wasn't merciful, guess how many of His children would still be alive? If the very first time we did something that was wrong and the stick from heaven come down and hit you and cut your head off, we'd all be dead, wouldn't we? Thank goodness He's merciful. But see, I mean, we sometimes with our own children are merciful, right? You know, they do something with the son, don't do this no more, you know, and then son, don't do this no more, and then son, don't do this no more. And finally, one day after about the tenth time, you grab you by the neck and say, I told you not to do that no more. Wow! Ooh! Dad really meant what he said. Yeah, but see, that's that's exactly the way God is too. He's merciful, just like we are. You know, in fact, usually He's far more merciful. You know, He talks to us. He wants us to be set free. He wants us to be delivered. He doesn't want us to have these demons. He does not want us to be sick and afflicted. He wants us to walk in abundant life and abundant health. That's what He wants. So, what did He say there in that promise in John fifteen seven? We said there a while ago, if His words remain in you, and if you remain in Him, then you can ask Him for what? Anything. Now, don't you like that? Uh, don't you like that? Now then, for God, if you, as His little daughter, could come ask Him for anything, and He would do it for you every time. That's just like my lovely bride sitting up here on the front. Whenever, right after we got married, and we've been married just a little over three years now, I guess. Yeah, almost three years. Yeah, there it is. Almost three years. And whenever we first got married, every time she'd have a problem, she'd have a pain or whatever, a stomachache, you know, or anything, or a little mole, or I mean, I mean, a little uh, a dimple or uh, a pimple or anything else. Honey, come in here and pray for this. I'd go pray for it and got it healed just like this. I mean, just, he'd just do it like this. And this, this happened for about two years. I mean, you talk about spoiling his daughter rotten. He spoiled her rotten. And then one day she had a little problem, and she said, Honey, come here, you've got to pray for this. Well, I did. And I walked off as usual. And a few hours later, I come and she said, You've got to pray for this again. It's not gone away yet. And so I prayed again. And the next day she got up and she said, You've got to pray for this again. I did, and she said, Have you sinned somewhere? <laughs> Naturally, she's putting the finger at me. It's got to be my fault because I'm the spiritual leader. And she's probably right. See? But why is it, do you think, that God began to slow down on healing her? He was spoiling her. And she was loving every second of it. You girls are easy to spoil. You know it? You know? When you get a husband and every time he walks up and touches you, got a problem, he says, in the name of Jesus, and you get healed just like that. And you say, ooh, thank you, Jesus. Ooh, Lord, I thank you. You're not even concerned, you know. Something goes wrong. So where's that husband of mine? 
You know, may not be may not be hunting him up to give him a love until you got a problem. Then you're hunting him up. See, I just kid there. She, <laughs> but that's kind of the way we are with God. See, I mean, you know, He heals us. He does all these things, and all of a sudden everything's going so good. Now you got health, and you got a good mate, and you got a little money in the bank. You got groceries in the cabinet. Your house payments paid. Your car payments paid, or maybe your car is paid for and your house is paid for. And the only thing you owe this month utilities. I mean, after all, who knows? Who needs God? We can take care of it ourselves if all we got utilities, right? No, no, that's not what He wants, is it? Kind of like the other day when Cheryl and I came back from West Texas. We come back. We went out there to make television shows. We went out there in our, our beautiful little twin Seneca and the little Piper airplane. And we're coming back, and the weather got bad. We get about halfway across there, and I have two GPSs. And you may not even know what that is, but are navigation aids. I had two GPSs on board, and within 10 minutes' time, both of them failed. Now, that's not... God's putting me to the test. I, I think, Lord, with these things, with a backup... I can go anywhere. I don't need nothing of the. I, I can go anywhere and find anything. He said, "Oh, okay, we'll see." And so one of them failed, and ten minutes later, the other one failed, and now they're just like Ty says. How did you guys get around out there without a GPS? Well, when it failed, you find out how you got around. So I prayed more. I wasn't praying at all until both GPSs failed. And I said, "Lord, I got a little half a half here. The weather's getting bad. He knows. He's been there." So we come in and we're glad to finally get in under the clouds here. And I didn't want to have to file IFR. And so we get lined up with the runway. And I said, okay, it's raining kind of lightly, you know, and everything. I said, okay, Lord, beautiful. I've got it now. The runway's inside. I can take care of it by myself now. You see, now don't y'all think, I mean, here I am supposed to be the spiritual man of God. And I'm just as dumb as everybody else or maybe a little dumber sometimes. We come in for a landing, and we touched down that wet runway, and Cheryl sitting right there by my right side, and we hit just like this, and all of a sudden that run, wet runway, the airplane is Now, about 80 or 90 miles an hour sliding down the runway sideways is not exactly what you want. I immediately cried out, Lord, i got to have some help again. As soon as I said, Lord, i got to have some help, the airplane is straightened right out. You know, we just rolled out perfect. Let me tell you. Don't tell him you don't need his help. <laughs> right now, don't never tell him. I don't care what it is. I don't care how good a health you're in. I don't care your healing is manifested. Don't ever tell him, I got it, Lord. Because all he's got to do is back off for a second, and you find out right quick, you don't have it. You don't have it. You've got to have the king's help. Amen. So, remember, that you've got to walk in love. If you want to get healed, you got to walk in love. Now then, if you want to walk in love, it says in Galatians chapter 5 that without faith, first of all, in Hebrews 11, 6, let's, let me quote this to you. Hebrews 11, 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now then, do you think he meant that, young lady? I mean, is that exactly what he said? Well, if without faith it's impossible to please Him, then if you can't please Him, what do you think you're going to get from Him? Nothing. So if we don't have faith, we can't get nothing from God. So if you don't have faith and you can't get nothing from Him, I think it would be a good idea to find out what it is. What is faith? Don't you think so, young lady? Romans 10.17 tells you what faith is. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by 
Hearing and hearing what? The Word of God. That's right. So now then, so you turn and open the Word of God and read it silently. Is that going to build any faith? What? How did it say it came by? Hearing. So when you open your words, you need to read it out loud. You need to read it out loud. So, Lord, I'm reading Your Word and I'm reading it out loud. I'm letting Your words penetrate into my ears, going to my brain, going down into my spirit. I am building my faith because I'm studying Your Word. You said without faith it's impossible to please You. So if I have no faith or have no Word in me, I have no faith in me. Is that true? I have people come up to me all the time and say, Mr. Pastor Scribner, I would love for you to pray for me. I would love to have your kind of faith. I love to have my kind of faith too. But I would have loved to have somebody to come up years ago and drilled a little hole right there and put a little funnel there and took the Bible and ground it up and poured it in there and said, okay, now you've got all the Word in you. And then I could have went out and said, hey, wasn't that easy? But it didn't happen like that. You know that? You know how faith comes? By hearing and 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 hearing. You know, you got to read it, don't you? I command you to love one another. You know how many times a day we need to hear that? All the time. In fact, one of the men here in this church the other day, he told after I preached on love, Dave, I was out of town the next Sunday, Dave preached on love. And the, pastor, the guy came up and told Dave, he said, you know, after hearing you speak on love and Thurman speak on love, I think we ought to hear a love message every Sunday. He said, if I could get that down, if I could get that one message down, if I could walk in that love, he said, everything else would be okay. Now then, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, make this statement. Once you get all that knowledge and wisdom in you, all that faith in you, it still won't work. Unless you do it like Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says. Let's read that. Somebody read Galatians 5, 6 and tell me what you have to do to make your faith work. What is it makes faith work? What is it? For in Christ, Jesus neither, neither, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith, work, but faith working through love. Oh, okay. There's the secret. Faith working through what? Love. Love. Faith working through love. Now, see, if you have all the faith in the world, if you had the faith to move a mountain, Paul said, if you don't have love, how much is it going to profit you? You mean I could have faith and move a mountain and it ain't going to profit me a thing in the kingdom if I don't do it in love? That's what He means that too, doesn't he? This young lady up here, she's got this down. She's got this down. She knows. She's getting it in there. Beating it inside. Now you've got to live it. That's the next thing you've got to do. You've got to walk in it. You've got to live it. You've got to love. It, and, of course, I know that's real easy. This happened to be a little critter out there called the devil with a few demons. And he said, well, I'm going to find out. If He said, the Lord said, you know, boy, I'll just use me for an example. Look at my son, Thurman. Isn't he walking in love? What do you think about him? Isn't he really doing a good job for me? The devil says, yeah. But let me just go out there and put him to the test. Let me go out there and just break every one of his airplanes today. So he ain't got nothing to fly. Let's see if he don't grumble. So I go out there and crank one of them up and a starter goes out on it. Okay, no problem. I'll go in there and get another one. 
I want to go flying then. I go down there and the vacuum pump breaks off on it. What? Okay, thank goodness we'll go fly somebody else. We'll go new. We'll go and fly Ty's new one. We go over and we crank it up in the garment. The, the circuit breaker pops and the thing won't work. <laughs> I mean, everything's going wrong. Now, all of a sudden, the devil says, whispers in your ear, just grumble a little now. What do you think about that, you man of God? And if you're not careful, you'll stomp your foot and say, I can't believe this. You know, I wanted to go flying today and I ain't going to get to go. And about that time, you finally get one of them going and you get it fixed. And all of a sudden, the devil sends in a real big front. And all of a sudden, the weather's bad and it's thundering and lightning. And you say, look at that nasty weather. I'll be, I was going to go flying. If I had got out and had had all this problem, I could have went out and flown for two hours and had a good time. But now look at that bad weather. And the devil says, ha, ha. See there, I told you God, He wasn't as dear as good as you thought He was. Listen at Him grumbling and complaining down there. You see? Those kind of trials and tests are going on every day. Why does God do that to us? He's building. He says, consider all these various trials and tests pure joy. Because they're building your faith. And your character. I mean, hey, without trials and tests, you can't learn how to be an overcomer, can you? Just think, the king says that all those that overcome on the earth, I will allow you to sit with me in my throne because I was an overcomer on the earth. And my father allowed me to sit with him in his throne because I was an overcomer. Now, if you overcome with all these various and trials and deaths just like I did, then I, Jesus, will allow you to sit with me in my throne. Would you like to sit with the king in his throne? He told you how to get there. But it ain't going to be an easy road to hoe, I guarantee. If you wind up sitting at the throne with God, you're going to have went through your trials and tests and you're going to do it without grumbling and complaining about everything. Now, if you grumble and complain about everything, and if you get into unforgiveness, that unforgiveness will bring sickness and disease to you and your entire family. It will kill you and your children. I've seen it over and over. I have seen men on their deathbeds because of their wife's unforgiveness. I've seen a man right here in the Metroplex that's still alive today that this has been at least 10 or 15 years ago. When his son came to me, he said, Thurman, Dad has been sent home today to die. They burned a hole in his colon with radiation. He said, cancer for years. He said, surgery several times. He spent all of his money, and now then they sent him home to die. What do you think we can do? I said, well, tell me about your dad. He said, Thurman, he's a Baptist deacon. He's a Sunday school teacher. I said, does he walk in love? He said, Thurman, if I ever met a man who walks in love, it's my daddy. But he said he's dying. I said, tell me about your mother. He said, well, Thurman, mama's not sick. I said, well, I'm making a difference. Let me know. Is mama walking in the same kind of love that daddy does? Oh, no. He said, mama, she's got grudges against all kinds of relatives. I said, there's the problem. He said, Thurman, it's not mama that's sick. I said, I know. But when a man and a woman get married, the two become 
How many? One. One. Is that scary? That's more than scary, isn't it? Now then, this woman that's holding the unforgiveness has opened the door to the devil. And the devil's going to kill this man. This man's been down with cancer for years. And now he's been sent home to die. No fault of his, but his wife. I told the man, I said, now, you take that Scripture in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, but I said, I don't think your mother will believe that. But I said, you take Mark 11, 25 and 26, and she can't miss that. I want you to see what Mark 11... First of all, I want you to see one of the promises God made you as an obedient child, what He will do for you in Mark 11, 23 and 24. I want you to read those two awesome promises that God made you as His children. And, of course, this is if you walk in obedience to His Word. Now, most people don't believe this. Most people have never walked here. Most people in the church have never believed these two promises. But they're two of the most powerful back-to-back promises in God's Word. Mark eleven twenty three, In verse 22, it says, If you have faith in God. See, so you've got to have faith in God. You've got to have the God kind of faith. If you have faith, then Mark eleven twenty three, he said, you can speak to a mountain and command it to move. And if you don't doubt where? In your heart, that mountain will move. Then he says, whatever, then, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you shall have whatever you say. Now, did he say that? Now, why in the world does most Christians not ever believe that? But the average Christian... I don't care how many times you read that. You do not believe that. What did the king say you could have, Liz? Anything. Whatever you say, right? Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have it. And then verse 24. When you stand praying, whatever you desire, when you stand praying, believe you have received it and it shall be yours. Is that what he said? So, if, that, if those two verses are real, if you're a Christian and you're walking in obedience to God's Word, what can you get the Lord to do for you with those two verses if you believe Him and you have an intimate walk with Him? Amen. That's exactly right, young lady, whatever you ask. Now, see, the intimate walk is the thing most people don't have. You know, we're out here living this prostitute life with the world. It'd be kind of like a husband... He's got a lovely wife at home and he's out there during the week and he left on Monday morning and he went out of town and he didn't call until Friday night when he comes bopping back in the house. You know, and he slept with two or three other women Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You know, and comes back in the house Friday night and said, Hi, honey, supper ready? And some of the friends that called her every day said, You know, Thurman was up in Minneapolis. He was down in Houston. He was out in Phoenix. And, and he had a different girl in every port. I saw him bring girls into his hotel room. I was with him. And I thought, You ought to know. So you come home Friday night. I guess she's going to just meet you open arms. <laughs> you see where I'm coming from? This is what we treat God. This is what we do. We commit spiritual adultery with God, and then we expect Him to do these things for us. But let me tell you, He doesn't do these things for us. And the reason He doesn't is because we're walking in sin. So just like here, this man, when those two promises are so powerful, 
But right after Mark 11, 23 and 24, then in verse 25, he says, But when you stand praying, forgive. Because if you don't forgive, neither will I forgive you your sins. Now, if you happen to have an NIV, that verse 26 is not in your Bible. Anybody have an NIV? Anybody in here using an NIV? Okay. Oh, you do have? Okay. The NIV, your verse 26 is not in it, is it? It's left out. They left that out. You know, they just left it out. But if you don't forgive, neither will I forgive you. But that's not very important anyway, is it? Oh, very important, huh? <laughs> I don't understand why they left that out, but they did. So anyway, you know, the thing about it is, I told this man, I said, now your mother, she can't miss these two verses. You know, it'd be pretty hard to miss that, wouldn't it? I said, so you tell your mother... Look here, Jesus said right here, you have to forgive everybody. And if you don't forgive, neither will He forgive you. I said, so that'll be pretty easy for her to understand. So I said, you take her, and after she gets revelation on those two verses, I said, then you have her go to all of her family members, ask the Lord first to forgive her, and then ask those people to forgive her and for her to get right with God. She did all that. She saw that. She said, son, you're absolutely right. I didn't know that's in the Word of God. Now, his mother's 70, 65 years old at that time and don't know that's in the Word of God. Why do you think she don't know that's in the Word of God? Because she don't have very much of a quiet time with God. But that's the problem in the church today. Not very many people have much of a quiet time with God. The average person spends very little time. In fact, I wouldn't ask you to hold up your hand because I think y'all probably are beyond and above the normal crowd. If you come to a healing school, you've got to be a, somewhere a little above the normal churchgoers, anybody who drive halfway around the world to come here on Saturday afternoon to listen to God's Word, you've got to be not normal. You know, there's people here from everywhere. I mean, people here from Lubbock, Arkansas, Arizona, I've met people from all over the country here today. You've got to not be normal to do this. And some people won't drive down the street to come to church, but you drive halfway around the country to come to church. Well, I told her, I said that, you know, she's got to forgive him, and after they do, then I said, you will take away the devil's legal right to your dad. So she got a hold of all of her relatives. She asked God to forgive her and everything. And then after she got right with everybody and got all the sins repented of, he comes to me and said, Thurman, we got that done. I said, okay, now then. You said your daddy was a Baptist deacon, right? He said, yes. I said, I want you to turn in your Scripture after the sin has been confessed I want you to turn in your Scripture to James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 and 16, and I want you to see a guarantee from God to heal your daddy. James 5, 14, 15, and 16 makes this statement. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint him with oil and pray the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. And if his sickness is due to sin, which it was, the Lord will forgive the sin. Therefore, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Now then, the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Did the Scripture say that? So I told him, I said, now you take your daddy in those verses and you go to your daddy, your Baptist deacon daddy, and go to his Baptist preacher and have them do that. Now tell them, they, did he say the prayer of faith? 
Not the prayer of unbelief, right? You know what the difference is between a prayer of faith and a prayer of unbelief? You quote the Word and say, God, You said it. It's done. The man's healed. That's the prayer of faith. The prayer of unbelief is, Lord, we're anointing this brother with oil now, and if it be Your will, please heal him. You knew that, didn't you? You knew where I was going with that. See, that's the prayer of unbelief. That's not knowing the will of God. The will of God is His written Word. If He said it, He expects you to believe it. And, of course, they did. They prayed the prayer of faith for him and Mr. Slagle, which was technically going to die that week. They had sent him home with a hole burned in his colon after all those years of surgery and pain and suffering because of his wife's unforgiveness. And in one week, instead of dying, in one week, Mr. Slagle was completely well healed by the power of God. And today, the old gentleman is still alive and well. He was still working as a subcontractor until he was at least 75. After 75, he started slowing down a little bit. That was about 10 years. I think it was about 65 when this happened, but he was going to die. But for 10 more years, he had at least 10 more good years. And, of course, the story doesn't stop there. His son came to me and said, Thurman, Dad spent all the money. He'll never make enough money to pay his doctor bills. He said he only had a million dollars total in his insurance, and they spent the whole million plus a lot more. He owes money. I said, well, I said, tell you what, now that the sin has been repented of and Satan's legal right has been removed. See, I said, now then, sit down, have your dad and your mother write a letter to the doctors and the hospitals and explain to them their mighty miracle of healing they got from God. I said, this is what happened. And I'm healed. And Jesus healed me because we got rid of our sins. And I said, sit and ask each hospital to reconsider what they can do on the payments or the payment of these bills and see what happens. So they wrote one to the hospitals and the doctor and sent it off. And this is unbelievable even for me. In two weeks, they got a letter back from every hospital and every doctor. Every hospital forgave the bill completely. Every doctor forgave the bill completely but one. One doctor said, I have never heard of such a miracle as this. You have to come in. I've got to examine you. So he went in. The doctor examined him, checked him, and Mr. Slagle was completely healed. And the doctor, after examining him, said, okay, not only am I going to forgive your debt in full, but if you ever need another doctor, as long as you live, you come to me and I'll do it for free. When you do things right, God's way, does He do things wonderful? Why in the world do we as Christians not do it God's way to start with? Why do we not do it God's way? I'll tell you why we don't do it God's way. We don't do it God's way because we don't read His Word and we don't know what He says. You know it? When you read His Word and learn what He says, just like this brother here said, Man, I'm in the Word every day. Amen. You've learned, haven't you? I mean, you want to walk in divine health, don't you, brother? Ooh, me and you both. We, yeah, amen. We want to be healthy and be old and be healthy, right? And that's what God... See, God promised in that benefit package, not only did He promise in Psalm 103 to forgive all of your iniquities, but then He promised to heal all of your diseases. And then He promised redeem your life from destruction, crown you with loving kindness, and what? And tender mercies. 
and to satisfy your mouth daily with good things and renew your youth as the eagles. Now, this girl has got the benefit package down. <laughs> now then, if you claim that before the Lord every day or regularly, guess what He'll do for you? He'll do everything He said. You walk in obedience to His Word and say, Father, I want to tell you how much I love you today. I want to thank you that you forgive all of my iniquities. And Lord, I ain't walking in no kind of sin. I'm walking in love. I'm loving myself. I'm loving my neighbor. I'm loving you. Of course, I'm loving you first, Lord. And you start claiming all those benefit packages, and you'll be amazed at the good things He will do for you. See? My honey bunny's favorite verse is just a few verses down. Verse 12. You know, what does that say? As far as the east is from the west, He removes my transgressions. Is that right? Now see, when you know that we're all sinners and we repent of our sins, how far away does He put them? As far as the east is from the west. They won't never meet. Won't never meet. That's the thing about you can get in the, one of these machines, these rockets that flies around earth, and you put that maybe going east, and it'll go east forever, and it won't never catch up with the west. It'll go east all the time. You won't never. To go west, you've got to turn around and go the other way. And then you won't never find the east. But that's the way it is. So he puts them as far as the east is and the west to never be to remember it again. And aren't we glad of that? Now, the devil will bring them back up to you every once in a while. But God won't. So now then, it's 3 o'clock and we're going to take about a 15 or 20 minute break. We've got two bathrooms here. Uh, we're going, first, before we, take, before we do that, we're going, are we going to take an offering? Okay, we're going to take an offering for the ministry. Before you take your break, if you want to give an offering to our ministry, we've got some little envelopes. The girls are, 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 I don't know who's, I guess Dave's going to help her. Somebody, Kathy. They're going to pass out some offering envelopes. If you want to donate to our ministry... We'll pass these little offering envelopes out to you. And uh, you be sure to put your name and everything address on there, phone number, if you want a receipt. Because we have trouble sending out a receipt if you don't have your name on there. You know, it uh, makes it a little difficult. But uh, if you have anybody needs one, Dave, just pass them out and give them to them. As they're passing out these envelopes, uh, if you want a receipt, if you write a check, you don't have to have that. You can make a check out to TLSM, just plain old TLSM. That's all you need. And if you just want to give a donation, you don't want a receipt, you don't have to have an envelope or nothing. You just put it in the bag when it comes around. But uh, we appreciate your donations. That's what keeps us going. That's what we buy all the CDs and DVDs and pay all the help and everything else. And, and all the media back here, those of you that may not have been here, we've got cassettes, video cassettes, audio cassettes. We've got CDs and DVDs. And we've got sacks back there. And it's all free. And you can take what you want. You don't have to pay for it. We do not sell anything at our ministry. That makes it a lot easier. We don't have to keep up with how much we sell and how much we paid for it and nothing. We just give it away. And so, therefore, we don't have to show all that uh, problems. It just makes it a lot easier to keep records. So, anyway, it's all back there. We're going to take this offering. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to bless the giver and the gift as they give to your ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, we're going to, they're going to pass the little buckets or whatever, the little sacks. Here they are. They're coming down the aisle here. And uh, as you do that, after you've given, if you want to, you can, uh, you're dismissed to take a 15 or 20-minute break.
When we come back, uh, Alan over here, he's got some wonderful testimonies, and some of the rest of you may have some testimonies. We're going to take testimonies for a few minutes, and then we're going to get back into some more of the promises of God this afternoon and teach you what it takes to walk in divine health and to get healed of what you have. So everybody had a few minute break here. We'll get ready to get started again. Praise the King. We've only had only got two bathrooms here, and my wife made me promise that when I do build our own building, whenever I do, that I put more than two bathrooms in it. I said, okay. <laughs> I've learned that out at the ministry center, where we only usually have anywhere from six to eight people working during the course of the day, but the majority of them are ladies. There's a few of us men out there. But uh, I've already learned out there that uh, I have... I started out with one bathroom out there. I thought with one or two or three people, we'd have plenty of bathrooms, you know. But I don't know why it is. It seems like everybody wants to go at the same time. So I don't know why that is. So uh, I figured I'd have to add one. So when I did, I added three more. So now we got four. So most of the time you can find a bathroom when you come in. You don't have to wait. So, but anyway, the ministry center has a total of three, four, five, six. It has six bathrooms in it. You know, if everything comes down to it, there's at least six out there. So, but only four of them are available to the, you know, everybody that's there. Two of them's inside the residences. Uh, Dave and Yesha live in one end of it, and me and Cheryl live in the other end of it, and we got our own private bathroom. But anyway, it's lots of fun serving the Lord. It's lots of fun being about Jesus' business. I do get tickled at Cheryl. You know, if how many of you have ever been to the ministry center? Some of you have, praise the Lord. Well, you know that it's a metal building. Those of you who've been out there, you know, it's a Gavaloon metal building. And so, uh, whenever Cheryl and I moved from Tapter, the Lord brought us together and we got married. Uh, she had a condo over here in uh, Colleyville. We lived there about a year. And then we got tired of that 45-minute drive every morning and every evening. So I told her, I said, I think we'll just sell that. And we'll build us a little uh, dwelling place on the back of the ministry center. And so, you know, it's all made out of metal and gavaloon. So I just built a little, about 1,500 square feet on the back. And... Uh, you know, made it nice on the inside, but it's just a metal building on the outside. Wow, thank you. Lord bless that in Jesus' name. So anyway, I got tickled at her mother after we moved out there. I said, what are you going to do? Is she going to move out there? She said, yeah. I said, Thomas oh, going to build us. He's adding on to the metal building and building us. She said, a metal building? You're living in a tin shed? <laughs> She said, yes, Mama, we're living in a tin shed. So, if you've ever been to our place, if you go inside of our little tin shed, you'll find out it's pretty nice on the inside. You know, it's, you know, it's, uh, I didn't spend a lot of money building it. I built it very inexpensively. But it is nice, very comfortable. It does have, Cheryl loves it because it has a big living room where she has her big piano that she had bought years before I married her. You got her big piano in there. And then we got one big nice bedroom and one fairly nice sized bath, you know, where she's got her big bathtub and everything. She likes to take a bath. Then she's got her huge walk in closet. You know, huge walk in closet. 
And did you notice that I left out a major portion of the house? Did you notice what room I didn't name? <laughs> kitchen. We have no kitchen and no dining room. That means we don't eat. <laughs> no, in the first part of the building, I built the first part of the building, I built a kitchen and the uh, little dining area in there because I thought I was going to be living out there by myself, so I only built one kitchen. So uh, we all eat. Everybody that works at the ministry, we all eat and drink in that one little kitchen. So it's kind of a, a busy place. you know. So one of these days when I add on to the ministry center, I plan on the other end to put a much bigger kitchen and a much bigger dining area because if we keep growing like we are, you know, every time we throw in there another four or five or six people, we won't be able to all gather around our dining table in the little kitchen at all. Sometimes we have, we're pretty crowded. Ty and Cheryl come out and, and all the others come out and we try to get 10 or 12 around that one little table. It gets pretty crowded in the kitchen. But we didn't plan on that. But I guess that God had another plan. You know, I didn't have any idea when I started out in the ministry when I made... I never forget the week when I made my first tape. And then I made about five copies of it. And I gave them to somebody to listen to, just friends. I said, listen to this, see what you think. And I titled the teaching, The Cross. And uh, I'd, had, I'd done it on such a little inexpensive, cheap machine. It had so many pops and snaps in it. I've now taken it off because I've taught most of that at other times on other teachings anyway. But I had some people that said that was the best tape I'd ever made, the cross. But anyway, I don't even have it available anymore. But uh, I can think about making those five or six tapes and giving them away. And now then, I never dreamed the day would come. Right now, the cassettes... We hardly send out any videos anymore. We did have 135 video recorders. We're down to just 20. We don't have very many video recorders anymore because not many people have video, and I'm glad. But uh, because it, they're real time. You know, if you take a four-hour teaching, it takes four hours to make it. You know, whereas DVDs, we can do them at a super fast speed. But the DVDs and the CDs and the cassettes, we're sending out now about 10,000 a week. Wow. Isn't that something? 10,000 a week. And we give them away. We give them away and pay the postage to send them. We send them all over the world. Everywhere. All over the world. And then, of course, people come here and take them by the sackfuls and give them away and they make them and send them out. But, hey, that's what it's all about. You know, we're serving God. He's the one changing people's lives. He's the one healing people. It's His business. It's not mine. And I'm so grateful, you know, that... Uh, we have that, of course, there in about two weeks, two and a half weeks, we're going to go to California uh, to teach out there for several days. You know, we're going to go in our own airplane, or I hope we do. You know, I've got it <laughs> tore down, you know, right now, and uh, we're going through an angel, and uh, I'm hoping that I get our new fuel cells, and I had, I had a fuel leak on the right wing, and I'm putting three new fuel cells over there, and doing all kinds of little odds and ends, but I want it to be in great shape when we fly over the mountains in Colorado. Amen. I'd like to get up there about eighteen, twenty thousand, 20,000 and just go right on. You know, that's nice and fly along that pressurized airplane. It's so nice. In fact, some of the, one of the men here a while ago, I forget who it was, come in, he said, uh, 
uh, maybe it was Alan, I don't remember, somebody, he said, you know, you need a jet. And I said, well, that sounds just like my wife. You know, she says we need a jet. So I said, when God wants us to have a jet, He'll give us a jet. You know, until that time, we're going to fly the one we got. You know, we're just going to praise Him and worship Him. Well, right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we start out this afternoon the second series of the Healing School. Lord, we're going to take a few testimonies, and we ask You to bless what everybody has to say, the things You've done. We want the people to hear what You're doing through other people. Lord, we give You all the praise and the glory. This is Your Healing School. This is Your Word. This is Your day. Lord, every day is Your day, and this whole thing's about You. It's not about us. It's about You and what You do. And Lord, we want to repent of our sins. We want to ask You to forgive us of our sins, because we know our sin is what brings sickness and disease to our flesh. And Lord, our lack of faith. Lord, Lord, we know that without faith it's impossible to please You. So Lord, we want our faith to increase. We want our love walk to increase because we want to please You, our King. So, Father, thank You for this beautiful day. And thank You for blessing us the rest of the afternoon. And then, Lord, when we pray for the people after the end of the school, we ask You, Lord, to be merciful to everyone and meet and heal every person's needs today that have come here. We give You the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, now then, let me get my microphone here. And I know Alan wants to tell you some of the wonderful things Jesus is doing. Alan, would you come up here, sir? And uh, this mic is on, and you should be set. And he's he's been learning some great things, and he's from New York, and he's got some great things to tell you, I think. You're going to let me hold it? I'm going to let you hold the mic, yeah. I'm going to get my tea and drink it while you're, uh, while you're talking. Um, I was, who remembers when I was here the last time, back in September 9th? Oh. I uh, have a prison ministry. I see these guys, and uh, I, I see over 20 people I deal with. I've been doing this for 30 years. started with guys in Oklahoma, but there's um, a guy named Dave Thomas who's in Georgia. I share, guys, there's a revival going on in uh, Dooley State Prison, Unadilla, through, through this guy, Dave Thomas, who I met through a guy named Dave Berkowitz, uh, who's, uh, two of his friends are here that he corresponds with. Uh, these two ladies with me here, but he gets since he's a, he was a son of Sam, the, the infamous killer in, the, in New York, and he's, he's a Jewish believer like me. He got saved like 20 years ago, and God's many people write to him. So Dave Thomas is one of them, and he referred me to Dave Thomas. So last time I was here, I talked about how uh, Dave Thomas is a guy in prison who shouldn't be there, he's, uh, but God's used him in spite of that. Uh, he's innocent, but that's beside the point. I shared about how, like, on one occasion. Uh, uh, a man was on, uh, had a, a fracture in his leg that they met, messed it up and he needed another surgery. He couldn't walk. And because of that, uh, the power of God came on Dave. He prayed for him and uh, uh, in front of 30 Muslims who were also in the, there. And he got healed. He went up running. And many of the Muslims got saved because of that. Because here was a guy. And, 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 since, and since that time, the guy's brother could, couldn't believe got saved. And, 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 his, uh, and someone else got saved because of that. Uh, all because of the guy's foot got healed. And another guy uh, named Larry, I said he'd gotten healed of, he prayed for him the day before he left prison. He got healed of, he was going blind in his eyes. Was he was deaf, uh, partially deaf in one ear. God healed him of that. And, he, and because of that, when he left prison, uh, some people got saved because they saw the testimony. Of him. And a guard, a prison guard got saved because he, he saw the miracle that God did to him just before he left the prison. So then, uh, so then there's so many other things that have happened since se- September. I, uh, I can't even write. He said he can't even write me all the letters. He's upwards of 200 people have gotten saved in this prison. Uh, you know, so, 
But God has used him in so many ways. But God can do the same thing for you. It's not. It's not. It's the same Holy Spirit. You see. Now, one of the things was there was a guy named Country there. They all have these names there. But anyway, this guy had the most horrible. Anyone here have ever bad toothache? He had an impacted wisdom tooth. It was hurting him so much. He prayed for him. Then he told him to stand in faith and keep uh, like Thurman would say, proclaim the word of God and so on. And that night he woke up. No, I thought he was choking, and the, the tooth had come out of it. The pain had gone away earlier, but he went to see the tooth came out of his mouth, and he brought it to Dave. And then he, in his mouth, Dave looked at his mouth. His mouth was completely where the you know if the dentist pulls a tooth, there'll be a hole there or something. It was completely like nothing had happened. It was completely smooth, like God had took the tooth out and made it completely, completely whole where the tooth was. And he had been in such excruciating pain, and the whole and it, it was just amazing. No. Uh, it's just a, and then for a bonus, he didn't need his eyeglasses anymore. And because of that miracle, a few people got saved. Every time hey. God does a healing, like the people get saved. Then there was a guy named John, and he got several of the Muslims have gotten saved. He's always there's many uh, black Muslims in this uh, this place. So uh, uh, there were he was having a, a Bible study. Uh, uh, he's having well. He'd been persecuted. A couple of Muslim guys stole stuff from him, and uh, and they knew if they found some of the other Muslim guys found out who did it. Said, look, we'll do these guys in for you because we don't like we don't like what you preach, but we don't think what was done with his right. Said, no, no, no. I I said, well, what can we do for you uh, because we think this is wrong? He said, well, come to my Bible study. So they, so we came to they didn't, well, they came to his Bible study, and then uh, and there was a guy named Johnny there, and Johnny uh, he's a Christian. He's an older black man. He's he's retarded. He cannot read. Johnny could not read at all. They all knew he couldn't read because he never knew how to read. He's just illiterate and he's retarded. He just cannot read at all. So he felt led by the Holy Spirit, asked Johnny to read. So he, he, he gave him a passage, uh, to, he opened the Bible, gave him a passage to read, and he read the, the passage. And they said, Oh, come on, Dave. You, you told him. That he memorized that verse. You, you, we don't believe that. So, okay, you give him a passage to read. So they gave him a, a passage. One guy gave him a whole passage to read. He said, Read that. And he read the whole thing. And he said, Give him another one. He gave him and he read it. So he just, and he's still reading. Still reading God's supernatural. Taught this guy to read, and so some people got saved because of that. And now, and now he's teaching. And then the Lord told him to teach Johnny so he can get out of prison. He shouldn't even be in prison. They won't parole him because he has no GED. So he's teaching him to get his GED. And here's a guy who, who was retarded and couldn't do anything. This is how the Lord took him. You know? Amen. And, and during. Uh, you got time for two more? <laughs> there's a bunch of there's a Wicca coven go there in this, in this. There was a Wicca there was a a Wicca coven there. You know that's a witch there. There was a counselor there that had a Wicca coven there. Uh, she started and he was invited. Someone didn't know he was a Christian to to a Sam on Halloween to a Sam Hine celebration. That's some um, they do. It's like. Sam Hine. I know. It's like a witch's Sabbath thing. The, the Wicca don't think they're evil. They think they're just like pagans and they make animal sacrifices they, they, and they cast spells. But they don't, it's all white magic to yeah. them. They don't yeah. think it's bad. So one counselor was doing this. He tried to con- go up and speak to this uh, woman once. He wanted to talk to her, but she wouldn't talk. She knew, she knew uh, who he was, so she would refuse to see him. But he got an invitation to this Wicca thing by somebody else. So there was like 60 uh, people at this thing, only one guard. And the Lord told him, he went to his prayer group, said, pray for me. And, uh, and, he, and, he, and the Lord said, bring a co- take an empty Coke bottle, fill it with water. The Holy Spirit told him to do this. Take an empty Coke bottle, fill it with water. So he took a bottle of water to the wicked like this. He hid it in his coat. He had his coat on. And he hid it in his coat, went into this, this celebration. It was all, and there was rock music and singing going on and all that stuff. And, he, and one of the guys came up and said, Dave, do you know what they're going to do with this celebra- at this thing here? They got a little cat. They got a little baby, a cat. And they're going to sacrifice it. It's in that 
broom closet over there. So, so he said, oh, Lord, he loves cats. He said, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? You know? and, and what they were doing also during this time, uh, while the music going, they were cutting themselves. Yep. The guard, there's only one guard. It's a big room. He, in the record, I've been to this prison. I think, I think I know the room he's talking about. I haven't been to the whole prison, but I, I think. So he's in once, uh, you know, it's like uh, the guards here, and they're way over there, there where they're doing it. They're cutting themselves, taking blood and ink. They're putting it in little uh, coffee can lids and mixing the blood in there, and they're going to take it and write spells out and cast it on people with their blood. They're in the process of doing that. And while they're doing that, he goes into the broom closet, and he sees a little kitty cat there, which he names Kitty City. He takes it, and he hides it's a, like It's like a baby cat, like that big, you know, a little kitty. Just a couple of weeks old. Oh. They take it and he puts it in his pocket and he tells the cat, be quiet. No one here. <laughs> the cat's nice and quiet. And he goes in there because he wants to rescue this cat. And, they said, and, then, and the Lord says, take that water. And, you know, and the meanwhile, this, this woman who's the counselor, who's the, the chief wicker person there, goes and puts the... Uh, I mean, he goes, while she's doing, talking to them, he goes, the Holy Spirit says, take that water and sprinkle it. On that, uh, on that, on that, that blood that they're going to do that. And she catches him doing it. She said, what are you doing? You ruined the whole process. You know, he says, I'm not doing anything, but the Lord told me to do that. And she said, get him out of here. He said, what are you doing here? You must be Dave Thomas. I heard about you. He said, and, 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 and the guard says, uh, took, uh, you know, says, I have a right to be. I got an uh, invitation. And then the guard, he had had real guts because those guys could have passed him and killed him. Yes. I'm telling you, this is prison. You know, they kill yeah. people there. Yeah. You know, uh, and there was only one guard, you know. So the guard came there and said, Thomas, you're crazy. Get, I'm taking you out of here. And he said, you know what they're going to do? They're going to sacrifice the cat and all that. And he said, well, I'm going to, uh, I'll put an end to this party right away, but you get out of here. Meanwhile, he said, let me say something to him. So he, this took us. He said, he said, lady, Jesus says, you're out of here. And he said some other way. I forgot all the words, but I wrote it down. But he said, you're out of here. You're out of here. And you're finished. You know, we're, Jesus against you. He said, said some things to her with real boldness. And she just listened. And the next day, she was transferred. As a matter of fact, there was a word. No, she, she had already been transferred. But he said, how, like, how did she know? How did he know that she was going to be transferred? He didn't know, but she was transferred the next day. She had asked for another job and all that stuff. And many of the Wiccans came came to the Lord because they saw that his God was more powerful than their, than their God. So then, so then uh, he told me about this. Now I'll, talk, now I'll show you the wisdom of God. There was a guy called Sarge there. Sarge was uh, a worker, a maintenance worker there. And he had a, a massive heart attack around this time last year. So he, he prayed for them. And he lived. But uh, when he came back to work, Everybody was pressing him to get saved. There were Christians there, and his wife was pressing him to get saved, and he, he wouldn't do it. You know, he just, you know, and people in the church he knew were pressing him. And then one day he came up to Dave, and he said, uh, I think it was like in November, he says, I want you to, uh, uh, I, I don't want to get saved, go to the altar. They never, you know, they just, he was an ego thing because they were way they're pressing. I don't want, and he'd been telling the people in the, church, in the prison, lay off of him. You're going to push him away from the Lord the way you keep pressing him. So, but he, Dave didn't do that. Shows you the wisdom of how to witness. He came up to him and said, "I want you to tell me about the Lord." So he led him to the Lord. If, it, if he'd have been like the rest of them, he wouldn't have got saved because Dave led him. He died a week later when he went out hunting from a massive heart attack. You see, if he if he'd have been like the rest of them, he would have died and gone to hell. That's right. Yeah. But because he was wise and they knew he would, he wasn't like the rest of them, and he knew what was go, all these miracles going, on, he he was drawn to him. Yeah. 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 And then uh, there's a there was a there was he was dealing with these Muslims. Uh, he keeps dealing. He's always talking to people there. There was two Muslims. He felt this time to the Muslims, God wants to deal with relationships. You know, he said, so he said, I know you've all had bad family relationships. And uh, he started talking about that and how God wants to heal your family relationships. And two, there were two guys here. One guy had his wife 
had wanted to divorce him and he just got a letter he was all broken up about it. and then the other one said his son never does it he said well let's pray for your wife and your son and he said I want you know pray about that they both became Christians you know said God you know he said you got to get saved first God will do something for you he led him to the Lord no he had already just led him to the Lord but he said now uh, God will heal your relationship and so the one with the wife, he said, call your wife. He said, you'll hang up the phone. She never listened to me. She's so, and then the other guy said, write your son. He said, my son, he tears all, sends all the letters back to me. To make a long story short, the, the guy called his wife. He said, you got saved? I'll wait for you forever. I said, I said, I would wait one. I was just praying last night. It was the same time as he was praying. I was praying it for you last night. And then you got saved. You know, and uh, so she there, I said, I'll wait for you. I love you more than ever. And she was ready to file a divorce against him because he was not a Christian. And she couldn't stand him for that. But now that he's saved. So that was healed. And the other guy, the very next day, this happened like in the, they're praying like this time of the day. And the next day, the son's in the visiting room ready to, to visit there to visit him, he would just gotten saved, and the Lord sent him to the prison to reconcile with his father. Amen. And this, I see, this, you see that, that was a Holy Spirit's leading on him. How did he know? He said, and so the Muslims just said, "How did you know this was going to happen with these guys?" So more people got saved. Just, and then, and then uh, you, know, you got time for two more quick ones. He said he's got so many stories he can't even tell me any of them. I. I uh, then there was, uh, well, here, this is about another Muslim. There's a Muslim called, and I'm talking like a fast New York Jew, too, I tell you. <laughs> he is a New York Jew. He's not kidding. <laughs> All right. I'll say, so some of these Muslims, oh, yeah, uh, his group of people, his, his, his Christians, they said, you got to lay low, Dave, and stop talking so much because they're, 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 a lot of the Muslims are getting mad at you and all, so you got to lay low. So he, he said, how dare you say that to me? You're a Christian. You're saying this. And he basically said, I'll do, he was like, Paul, I'll die for the gospel. I don't care what they say. He's got a lot of spiritual guts. So he got them all pumped. By the time he got finished with them, they were all pumped up, giving high fives to one another and said, we're ready to conquer the world. Because they're trying to, his own people were trying to quelch him. So sometimes your own people get scared of the, 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 when the heat gets on. You know, so, uh, and, and the very, that very night, as, as if a reward from the Lord, someone came to him asking to get saved. You know, after he, he uh, refused to give in to what his own people would tell him. Imagine if your church said, sir, you know, we're getting too much flack from people saying you're one of those name it, claim it guys. You better calm down a little bit, Thurman. You know, this is cool. You know, you'd say, what are you, I'm ashamed of you. And so, you know, that's what he was doing with them. I know that would never happen here. Uh, but, but that's kind of what look, he was going through. The, the heat gets up, so you try to calm, you know, they, your own people try to tell you to cool it. So the lastly, uh, a bunch of, uh, this happened in February. These, uh, a bunch of Muslim guys come up to him, three guys, and one of them was called Edgar, saying, um, they were just saying, our Muslim God is stronger than your God, you know. He said, despite what all you've seen happen here, all I said, you know, our God is all better than your God. And, uh, one, and he said to this guy, Edgar, he said, you told me that five years ago, and what has he done for you in all this time? You know, and uh, that's how these other Muslim guys have said. They said, Allah has never done nothing for us. You know, all these, what, you know, they, and they see all that he's done when they pray for him. He said, they, said, they accept him because God, Jesus does for us, and Allah wouldn't do nothing for us. You know, so they say, well, he gives me dreams. Uh, Allah gives me dreams. So uh, he said, he said, well, you just don't get it, Dave, do you? And he said, no, I don't get it. I don't want to get it. You know, Jesus is, uh, is the, the one and, and my God's a God of action. He's involved in every aspect of our children's lives. So I'll finish this last paragraph. So You've you got to hear this. So the very next day, Edgar, he's one of those three guys. He said, Dave, you really threw a monkey wrench in everything I believed about Islam, especially when you reminded me that I had told you the same thing five years ago. So I was thinking 
up all night long. Then your God, your, your God gave me a dream. I was high upon a mountain and I was to be executed because I had killed a man. But then as I was about to be beheaded, a man stepped forward and shouted, Wait, do not harm this man, for I shall offer this my spotless lamb in place of him. And my lamb will take his crime upon himself and offer up his life in place of Edgar's. And then, Dave, when the lamb was sat upon the execution altar, a great light descended upon the lamb and it began to glow. And so, somehow I knew that it was glowing with a very glow of your glory of your God and then right before my eyes the lamb began to change it became a man the man Jesus Dave praise God and then I knew I knew in my heart that this man Jesus was just how you said over and over he was and as the very son of God the, re- the real God and Dave he was offering his life up for what I have done wrong Alan Edgar has never studied the Holy Bible and now he reali- I know how he relies on dreams so um uh, then Edgar said, well, they were going to execute him because of me, Dave, and I couldn't let them do that because Jesus had done nothing wrong. I had. So I started running toward the altar and screaming for them to leave him alone and take me instead. But Dave, they grabbed me and held me, and I yelled to Jesus, why? Why are you doing this for me, sir? Jesus looked into my soul, Dave, and he said, why? Because I love you, Edgar. That's why. Alan, Edgar had tears running down his face at this time, and it was a very emotional moment, and I felt the very spirit of God's presence in my cell. Again, he continued, so I was screaming, no, no, no. And then guess what happened? I woke up screaming, no, no, no. And I was crying my eyes out. You ask my roommate if you don't believe me. Well, my roommate was tripping out and trying to calm me down. I kept telling him, I got to see Dave. I got to see Dave. And brother, here I am, Dave. Oh, please help me to become a Christian now. Please, Dave. I'll even give you a bag of coffee and a bunch of soup. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Take coffee. There's free coffee over there. Oh, wow. Goodness gracious. Well, if somebody else has another one, I won't cut you short. If you got one, I'll let you give one. Uh, anybody else have a testimony you want to do right quick? We got some quick testimonies here. Come on, uh, uh, Joseph. You got a quick one. Uh. Yeah, this is kind of. I, this, I think this will be kind of quick. Um, because this kind of relates to what uh, Thurman was. Uh, is that your name? Thurman? <laughs> I was just kidding. This relates to what Thurman was teaching here in the last session a little bit. Uh, I have uh, two real quick ones here to, to, that I'd like to bring out. Is one is uh, an older sister of mine, uh, normally who lives in uh, uh, Suffolk, Virginia. And she will be 84 years old in May, and uh, six years ago, in January, she came down with cervical cancer, and when they put her in the hospital to remove the cancer as much as they could, and they couldn't get it all, but while they were at it and and, and checked her out, they discovered it was a very aggressive cancer, and it had already spread through her lymph nodes throughout her body. It was in her lungs and her liver, her pancreas. Uh, just about everywhere. The doctor came back to her and told her that there was not really anything they could do, that uh, it was terminal. So she says, well, how long do I have to live? And he says, well, if you, um, if you take chemotherapy, he says, maybe for as much as four months. Maybe a little longer. Probably not that, quite that long. She says, what if I don't take chemotherapy? He says, well, four weeks tops. So she says, well, in that case, I don't think I'll take the chemotherapy. 
she went home and went to her elders of her church and had them anoint her and pray for her. And she never went back to the doctor. And she tells us today that uh, she says, I may still be riddled with cancer. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) If I am, she says, it doesn't bother me. And we just visited with her just a, a few months ago, as a matter of fact, back in Virginia. Six years ago? Six years ago. January, six years ago. And she looks healthier now than she's looked in years. Amen. Absolutely. And she's just really happy and just really, truly serving the Lord. Now, here's the other one. That is wonderful, but here's one that's not quite so. It's a little sad. We have a daughter-in-law who came down with a similar cancer here last year. I don't know how long it had been growing in it before they found it. We just found it last fall. She has colon cancer, and the doctors say it's a very aggressive type of cancer. But it hasn't spread so far. And uh, she uh, claims to be Christian, and so does uh, our son, uh, the same. And uh, (coughs) we have been visiting with uh, James Robeson Ministry. As a matter of fact, we were there when uh, uh, he was taping this uh, session on marriage that, uh, Frank, that, yeah. that Thurman mentioned earlier. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know exactly how this uh, came about, but uh, I don't recall quite exactly how it came about. But we were discussing about uh, casting out demons with someone there. And a precious lady of this congregation happened to be there and overheard our conversation. And she went out to her car and got a couple of tapes. It was uh, Rosemary. And she went out to the car and got a couple of uh, CDs, that is, uh, and, uh, and brought them in to uh, Thurman. And uh, <clears throat> we set them aside for about a month before we got around to, to listening to them. But when we did, we uh, immediately went to our uh, son and daughter-in-law and had them come here to one of Thurman's uh, healing ministry, Saturday afternoon healing ministry. This was back around about, what, September, October, about October, I think it was in October last fall. And they found it interesting, and it did make a change of heart in our daughter-in-law, and later on, after we went home, uh, after they went home, I wasn't there, but my wife was there with them, uh, they were discussing this issue and uh, and she manifested and started screaming at my wife and telling her that she hated her and uh, she really had quite a demonstration there when they got her calmed down and our son prayed for her to cast the demon out and then she uh, she just said seemed to have a change of heart at least uh, on the surface she uh, then she apologized to my wife, and she told my wife that she says you're the best mother-in-law that anyone could ever have. And uh, she had no real reason to hate her in the way that she did. Well, she didn't. She had had a problem with me too, as a matter of fact. But later on, she apologized to me and asked for my forgiveness, and I did. However, they would not come to faith in the Lord over this cancer. They put their faith in the doctors instead. Um. And as two days from now, on Monday morning, she'll be going into the hospital for an operation, and she'll have a, what is it, colostomy? Colostomy? 
permanent colostomy, you know, when you have to wear the little bag and so forth. And she's only 34 years old. And it's a sad situation. I wouldn't know how to tell you to pray for her, but <laughs> I'm sure Thurman knows. <laughs> but uh, she still, uh, they, they, they believe this. They, they see themselves as good Christians, but they put their faith in the doctors rather than in God. And you can see, you know, here's this dichotomy. Here you can see the real difference between what happened to my sister at the age of 77 with the cervical cancer and what's happening to my daughter-in-law at the age of 34 who refuses to put her faith in the Lord. Sorry, Deborah, I didn't look up. I was on deck. Okay. <laughs> well, at work we have uh, a man that sits beside me, and after coming to work there, he realized that I came to this ministry because he had heard me talking about healing, and he had heard Thurman years before at a men's breakfast meeting or such. So I'd been giving him some tapes, and the other day I came back from lunch, and I noticed that he and another girl were talking, and she goes, oh, well, I had a headache, but it's gone now, and because he had asked her. Uh, how was your headache? And she just kind of grinned after she said, oh, it's gone. And I said, well, oh, really, what you take? Because, you know, she's a, a regular, everyday Christian, and, and she's a really sweet lady, but she doesn't have any of this teaching. And so she says, well, it's something a little bit more powerful than medicine. And, and, and I thought, oh, well, this sounds interesting. So my friend said, well, while she was at lunch in the break room, the Spirit spoke to me and said, you need to go pray for her. So he, he left our office space and went into the break room and asked her what was wrong. And she told me she had a really bad headache going on. So he said, well, we'll just use Matthew 18, 19. We'll come into agreement with it, and we'll, we'll make sure that you don't have a headache. And that's what they did, and no longer any No headache. longer went away. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. You got one, young lady? Come on. Yeah. I don't want to cut anybody short. We take it. Hold it up close. That's all you got to do is hold okay. it up and talk into it. Okay. Can you got I called my um, parents down in Houston last weekend and found out that my mother's mother up in Wisconsin uh, fell and broke her spine in two places. And my mother is a very uh, strong Catholic and has taught Bible study over for 20 years at St. Bernadette's Church down in Clear Lake, down in Houston. And when I spoke to her, she was very, very, very sorrowful. I think she was so um, thinking, as she told me, she was, Debbie, this could be the beginning of the end. Well, I've started listening to these tapes from a friend of mine that has gone to your church here, and she's given me tapes. And since October, I've been on fire. <laughs> and so, and, and I'm learning scripture. I mean, a Catholic, you're not taught, so now I'm learning it and Amen. kind of applying it. So I took, I took what I, the little I know, being a baby Christian here. And I applied um, James 1.6.7. I told my mom, I said, Mom, no. I said, you've got to take this and go with, with faith. You know, I said, it says in James 1.6.7, you're going to have to pray without a doubt, with no wavering, that she will be healed. I said, Grandma is healed. I said, you know, Jesus died on the cross. If he, you know, by his stripes we are healed. We're done. So you don't have to accept it. And I, I did the 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the answers are yes in Christ. And I did... Um, 
Oh, Matthew 18:19. And as I did it, I did it. Girl getting dangerous. I did it. Amen. Those are my three that I live with right now. And um, <laughs> and and they're working. And so um, I let's see. I took my, my, my mother, I asked her, and I just thought, are you, do you agree? And, you know, during the prayer, she said, yes, I do. By the time we were through that conversation, my mother's spirits were so lifted. I mean, she, you know, she told me, she goes, I'm not going to even worry anymore. Amen. I mean, I, if that's Amen. all that, you know, at least her spirit was, was healed. And then I called my folks this weekend, and they basically the doctor said that they didn't think she'd be able to even sit up in, in you know, some sort of support thing she'd have to have on her back. And um, so that's why mom was so sorrowful. And. My dad said they did surgery. They had to do surgery to get the fracture spine. They fused it. And they said not only she's going to be able to go back to where she was before, she's not going to have to. Um, I mean, she'll be okay. She'll be all right. Oh, yeah. So, Praise I mean, anyway. You're learning, aren't you, young lady? Praise the Lord. I love it when people get on fire for Jesus, don't you? The Word of God. It's amazing. Now, what is it that made a difference in her life? The Word. That's exact. What made the difference in your life? The Word. The Word. What made the difference in my life? The Word. What made the difference in Alan's life? The Word. All of us, when you get a hold of the promises, you know, it's just like so many people don't understand that when you read God's Word, when you think about the promises that are in this Word, I want you to think that under the New Covenant, I want you to take your Bible now. We're going to talk about some of these great and awesome promises that are ours. I want you to turn to Matthew 17. And I want you to see what will work for us if... In fact, I want you to turn to Matthew 8 first. Matthew 8, 17. And I want you to see this great and awesome promise... In fact, we will read starting with verse 16, Matthew 8:16, And it says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils or demons. Now, today the church doesn't believe we can have a devil or a demon. I mean, I've asked a lot of people, is it possible for me, I've even asked doctors of theology in the seminary, is it possible for me, a Christian, to have a demon living in my flesh? And they all say, absolutely not. It'd be impossible for a Christian to have a demon. Well, I've learned that it wasn't true back in this day, and it ain't true today. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with demons or devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed a few of the sick. Oh. How many did he heal? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And you know, I don't know how I could miss it, because in my Bible, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses all in capital letters. Is it in yours too? You reckon He meant for you and me to get a hold of that? Everything else is in little fonts. And here he brings up to himself, tuck our infirmity and bear our sickness, and he put it all in capital letters. He wanted you to know what he had done for you. Under the new covenant, if himself, if Jesus bore your sickness and your infirmities and bear our sicknesses, do you think he wants us to be sick? No. Absolutely not. 
But you know, we also read under the New Covenant where He bore our sin. Does He want us to sin? No. No. So why do we go out sinning? Because when we go out sinning, sin brings forth death. So if we will take what the gift that He gives us, He bore our sins. And hey, if He bore it, then we don't have to bear them. We don't have to sin no more. Hey, let's go out today walking in a God kind of love, doing what He says. And when the devil comes to you and wants you to do something wrong, say, no, Mr. Devil. I mean, I'm looking at this little girl back here shaking her head. Mr. Devil, I'm a daughter of the King. I'm a princess of the King of the universe. A princess of the King of the universe don't hold grudges against people. A princess loves. A princess don't go out and lie, steal, and cheat and do all those things. She acts like her daddy. He's God and He's perfect in all His ways. When you start seeing yourself like a daughter of the King, you ladies, it'll change the way you do business. You men, when you start seeing yourself as priests of God, sons of God, you'll stop living in that old devil's world. You know, you won't... And it's amazing how many men call me that have prostrate cancer. And before I get off the phone with them, I find out they're heavily involved in pornography. Hey? I mean, I mean, pornography. Did the king say, if you look at a woman to lust for her, you're guilty of adultery? Yeah. You know? So if a man looks at pornography, he's guilty of adultery, and that's why he's attacked in the prostrate. Because it's involved with his sex organs. You know, he is going to be attacked... His body is going to be attacked. <coughs> the part of his body that he uses to sin with is what's going to be afflicted. Now, I've learned this principle just from reading God's Word. But one day I was reading in the Catholic Bible. It has several books in it that the King James don't have. And in the book of Wisdom, chapter 11, it clearly talks about that in detail. That whatever part of the body... In fact, what it was talking about... It said the Israelites, in chapter 11 of the book of Wisdom, it said they brought dumb animals and, and insects and things, and they worshipped them. So God brought against them insects and animals to destroy them, so that they might be destroyed with what they had used to sin with. Isn't that amazing? So when you get a hold of these principles, if you go out and... Sin, of course, now you might be, look, we've seen it both ways. You go out and you sin looking at pornography as a man. You may not have prostate cancer. You may have eye cancer. We've seen that too. We've seen men hooked on pornography come down with eye cancer. Isn't that amazing? The Lord said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Somebody said, he didn't really mean that. Well, he shouldn't have said that because that's what he said. So don't let your eye offend you. So, if Jesus, if He took our infirmities, He took our sickness and bore them for us, and He bore our sin, He does not want the church to sin. He wants you to walk holy and in a love walk with Him. So, we as Christians are have to, going to have to get over this fact that we're sinners. We're not sinners anymore. We're supposed to stop sinning. Now then, does that mean you can't sin? Oh, no. It's real easy to sin. But when you sin, if you sin, which get over this nonsense of thinking that I just sin all the time. 
get over that. If you do sin, immediately come to the Lord and ask forgiveness and say, Lord, help me that I don't go do that no more. I don't want to sin no more. I want to walk holy in obedience to your word. And then, in fact, where he says, He himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. <clears throat> in fact, here a while back, I had gone out of town, and before we, I went out of town, Cheryl and I, we had, been, we had prayed on Sunday night for a gentleman in Salt Lake City, Utah, that had fell out of a tree 35 feet up and crushed his lower back. He was up in the mountains of Idaho. He was a doctor, and he fell out of a tree, and they had care flighted him out of the mountains. They took him to a hospital, done a CT scan on him, and he had a lower crushed back. It's a wonder he's alive, you know, falling 35 feet. That's a long ways. But it crushed his back, and he had sent him home. And on Sunday night, he called me about 10 o'clock in excruciating pain. Somebody had sent him some of our teachings, and he listened to them. And he called and wanted to know if I would pray for him. In fact, he called about 8 o'clock and wanted to know if Cheryl and I would come out there. He said, I'll pay for y'all's airplane ticket if you'll come out here. I want you to pray for me. Well, okay. So we agreed, and he bought us a ticket, both of us, round trip. But then about 10, he called me personally on my cell phone. And I said, sir, if you will allow me to speak over you, I said, are you in pain? He said, I'm in excruciating pain. I said, the God I serve does not want you to be in excruciating pain. He loves you. He wants to heal you. I said, he will use my faith to heal you. I said, he said in his word, in Mark eleven twenty three, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. That's a pretty awesome statement the king made, isn't it? So I said, upon Mark eleven twenty three, in the name of Jesus, I command your back to be completely, totally, miraculously healed right now in the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Lord. I said, sir, I guarantee the king will do a supernatural healing on your back. And I hung up the telephone. Fifteen minutes later, the man called back. He was completely healed. In fifteen minutes. He was running up and down the stairs. And when I asked the Lord to do a supernatural healing on his back, I didn't realize what I had said until he went back to the doctor to have him check his back. And when they'd done the x-rays, they told him, said, Dr. Young, don't bend over. He said, what do you mean? They said, you have no disc in your back. On the x-ray, nothing shows up. There's nothing attached to holding the upper and lower back together. Can God go beyond your wildest dreams? So he can bend over, he can run, he can play, he can do everything. But we went out there the next morning. He called back that Sunday night, 15 minutes after I prayed for him, and said he's healed. And we get on an airplane the next day and fly out there, and he picks us up himself at the airport, takes us to his house. We teach all of his people. And, and well, I mean, we teach people he works that works for him. He owns a huge outfit out there. He's got uh, clinics. He's got doctors working for him. He's got people all over the place. And he's got 700 employees. And the guy and nearly all of his employees are all Mormons. So I had a real privilege to sit before some of them and talk to them about Jesus. And I told them, I said, now one thing I want you to know, 
The Jesus I serve was never the brother of Lucifer. I said the brother, the Jesus I serve made Lucifer. Yeah. And I said the Father, God that I serve, was never a man and He became good enough to become God. He was always a spirit and He was always God. And they said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. And I said, now wait a minute yourself. I said, how long has it been since you all seen a miracle like this in your Mormon church? And they said, in a hundred years of recorded history, we've never seen such a thing. I said, well, I didn't come out here with enticing words. I'm just an old Texas country boy that barely speaks English. <laughs> but I said, I came out here with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Amen. I said, the man that's sitting here that you know, that you love, that your employer, your good friend, your husband or whatever, your friend, he called me, I didn't call him. And the God I serve was merciful to him over the telephone and completely healed him. Now, why do you think he did that to a man by the name of Young that his great, great, great uncle was Brigham Young? Now, why do you think God would heal a Mormon like that with such a miracle? He's trying to get their attention out there. He's giving them a wake-up call. He didn't just take any little insignificant nobody... He took one of the most powerful men in the Mormon church to heal him. Hallelujah. So when we came back home, we were out there about three days. We came back home. And of course, he wanted to pray for me. He also has these oils. He makes these oils. Some of you may have heard of Dr. Young and Young Living. And he makes these oils. So he wanted to pray for me. Well, like a dummy, I let him pray for me. He anointed me with one of his oils and prayed over me. And when I got home, we came home on Thursday. And Sunday night after church, when I went home, all of a sudden, I felt my left leg on fire. I pulled my boot off and pulled my sock down and from my knee down to my ankle was blood red. I mean, it looked awful. I ain't never seen nothing like this. I said, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. And I just put my boot back on, went ahead and read emails till 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we went to bed about 7 o'clock that morning. Cheryl was going to get up to go to the bathroom or something. So I said, honey, I said, if you go by, turn the light on, look at my left leg. She said, what do you mean? Something's wrong with your leg? I said, well, it was about 2 o'clock this morning, but I didn't tell you, but now I'd like to see. So she turned the light on. When she did, she looked over there and grabbed my leg and said, come out of him, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. She realized I had a devil. I had a bunch of them. My leg looked awful. Well, the next morning, of course, I called Ty. And, of course, him being a doctor, I said, Ty, God, have you pray for me? He said, what's wrong? I said, well, something serious wrong with my left leg. I said, it looks awful. I want you to pray for me. He said, no, no, I'm coming and look at it. I said, no, no, you don't have to come over. He said, no, I'm coming. I'm going to be there in a few minutes. And then I called Eldon and told him the same thing. He said, I'm coming over to pray. I said, no, Eldon, you all don't have to drive all the way from where you all over. Just pray for me. He said, no. So these guys are coming over here. On the way over, Ty is praying. He said, Lord, what's the deal with Thurman? What is the deal, Lord? And he said, the Lord spoke to Ty and said, tell him when you get over there that you stopped by a Buddhist temple and bought a bottle of oil. Oh. Oh. 
And if, if you will anoint him with his oil, it will heal him. Ty gets out there and he looks at my leg and said, man, what you got is life-threatening. He said, if you wasn't a man of faith, I'd have to take you to the hospital. We'd do surgery on you right now. But he said, I know you're not going to go. But he said, I'll tell you what I've got. I've stopped by a Buddhist temple on the way over here and I bought a bottle of oil. If you'll let me anoint you with this oil, I guarantee it'll heal you. I said, there ain't no way you're going to touch me with that oil. But he said, obviously, that's what you did. And then I thought, oh my goodness, I let him anoint me with oil and pray over me. Be very careful who you let lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. It almost cost me my life. Almost cost me my life. Be careful. I mean, even when you walk in faith, you know, you can, you can get killed. The devil is out there to take us out. And after one of the greatest miracles I'd ever saw, I mean, that's, a, that's not too significant of a miracle to pray over a doctor and see God put a supernatural back in there that whenever they do x-ray, even the discs don't even show up. But yet he's able to run and play and do anything he wants to do. But God can do anything, can't He? See? But see, if we don't pray in faith, nothing happens. Now, you know what kind of a... I guess people would call you a dummy. What kind of a dummy you think you are that you can call a man on, or he can call you and you can take a Scripture out of this Word and you can pray a prayer of faith over and guarantee him that God's going to do a supernatural healing on his back and thank the Lord for doing it and hang up the telephone? Who do you think you are? Well, I think I'm a son of God. That's who I think. I think I'm a child of the King of the universe. And I think He's no respecter of persons. And I think He'll do the same thing for you He does for me. You know, I mean, I'm not unique. You know, I'm just a man, just like you, right? All we got to do is do something in faith after obedience. Now then, I got out of obedience and it almost cost me my life. Isn't that amazing? It took a, a week or so of prayer of all my friends to get this thing gone away. But today, praise God, my leg's been perfectly normal ever since. You know, you know, and Ty's grateful and I'm grateful. He ain't ready for me to leave yet and I ain't ready for him to leave either. When he said yesterday, oh, I'm just going to pass Jupiter or whatever it was. I'm on the way to heaven. I said, you lied. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Well, he said one thing about it. If I, when I get up there, you'll have a great prayer warrior in heaven for you. I said, yeah, but I ain't ready for you to be out there. I'm ready for you to be here. I need prayer warriors here, not out there. But look what the king said. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, when I'm laying there on that bed, when I'm laying there on that bed, in fact, see, he's so much a doctor. He said, Thurman, when he looked at my leg, he said, go over and get in the bed, put your foot up, elevate it up about six feet, and don't you move for at least two days. I said, but Ty, I'm a man of faith. I can go do it. He said, get over there in that bed and lay down. Okay. Okay. So I didn't want to do it, but I did. I went over and got there in the bed. And of course, now when you're laying there quiet, and ain't nobody bothering you. And you don't know, you're all by yourself. And you got your britches, short britches on. And you look down there. you got this blood leg, blood red leg sticking up there to look at. The old devil saying, you know, you're going to die. Don't that look awful? You know, guess what? You begin to listen to those thoughts. 
Ty even said it's life threatening. It kills lots of people every year. I mean, it does. Blood clots in your legs kill lots of people every year. I'm saying, Lord, Lord, I know you're my healer, but I sure do need a word. If you would just speak to me right now and tell me that I'm healed, I sure. I mean, I've only taught this for 20 years, you know. You'd think by now I'd know. You know, you talk, but you talk about the flesh taking a hold of you. I got my Bible laying right here on my belly, you know, and I'm pulling it up every once in a while reading it. I said, Lord, I sure do need a word from you. He understands the frailty of the flesh. You know that? After all the miracles I've seen him do, and now he says, I have my Bible closed, and I says, Lord, I sure do need a word. And I just throwed my Bible over here to the side, and it went, bam. I looked over there, and I read right here. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. I said, forgive me, Lord. What do you think the chances of me throwing this Bible over your clothes and it open right there and my eyes fall right there? What do you think the chances of that happening are? Zero. Zero. What is he trying to tell us? Is it just as good if I read it out of the Word as if he spoke to me audibly? That's right. In fact, it's more sure. If it's written in the Word, He has exalted His Word above all His names. He says, Himself, He took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if you claim that by faith, after you have taken care of all sin. Now, see, that's the secret. You've got to get rid of sin. If there's any sin, any kind of unforgiveness, any kind of bitterness, any kind of anything... But you don't understand what my husband did to me last night. You don't understand what that beast did. He is so mean. Well, what did he do? He didn't tell me he loved me last night. Oh, he didn't? Well, I can't imagine him not doing that. So you go back and you watch the Lord replays and you watch it. He told her when he got up in the morning. He told her at noon. He told her at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but that afternoon he got busy doing some stuff and he did have to go to work and he did come home tired that night and he did go to bed and he didn't look over and tell her he loved her. What a shame. And she's so mad at him. You know, we, get, we do stupid little things like that. You all know that? We lose our cool and we cut off ourselves and our power with God because we listen to the wrong voice. You know, instead of saying something like that, we ought to come in and make sure what happened when we walk in, we ought to say, wow. <laughs> so he's tired. He didn't tell me he loved me. He's over there. You wait till he goes to sleep so you know he ain't going to tell you. You reach over and tap him on the shoulder. <laughs> what, what, what? I want to tell you I love you. <laughs> oh, honey, I love you too. What'd you wake me up to tell me? Just because I love you. Just because I love you. You know, just like this morning. I rolled over and put my arm around my honey bunny and I thought, well, I wonder if she's awake. And she says, I kind of snuggled up a little. She said, what, what? I said, you're awake? Yeah, I'd love you. Just want to tell you. I was fixing to get up. You know, I want her to know. Of course, sometimes she says, well, I wish you hadn't woke me up to tell me. (laughs) But you know, you can't win all the time. So what's the big deal? She's not quite that mean. I'm just kidding her a little bit here. But look at, look at that promise, what Jesus did. 
Okay, now then, I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 17. Go just a little bit further. Let's go over to Matthew 17. And let's see what the king said here. In Matthew 17. uh, And let's start here in about uh, verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic, and he's sore vexed, for oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. Now, what does it sound like this young man has? Epileptic seizures. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. So, Jesus was very nice to his boys right there. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, you wonderful, faithless boys. Oh, that's not the way he did that, is it? Oh, you faithless and perverse bunch. That You think that's more like it? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him hither to me. You think the king wants this boy healed? Yeah, he had commissioned his men to do this, hadn't he? But they couldn't do it. This sounds like us today, doesn't it? He commissioned us to do this too, and we don't do a very good job either. So I, I, I'm, I would hate for the king to stand right here today and look me right in the eye and tell me what he thinks about me. <laughs> oh, you faithless critter, you. You have no faith hardly at all. Just a little teeny bit. Then he says, and Jesus rebuked the devil. What did Jesus do? He rebuked the devil. And the devil departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples apart, and why could we not heal him or cast him out? And Jesus said unto him, because of your unbelief. So what do you think is wrong with us today? Unbelief. Verily I say unto you, if you have faith. Now, do you have to have faith? Obviously, we have to. He says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now, that's a little bitty thing, isn't it? So, we don't need much, do we, brother? But we've got to have a little. Now, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible with you. Now, what kind of power do you give you, young lady? Beyond your wildest dreams, huh? And you know what? I can just see it now. Like just the other day, I was talking to people. Some people, we were out discussing these things, and I found out they were all Christians. And they go to church and they love God, especially this woman. She was standing there. Of course, the young man I was talking to, he was on fire for Jesus. And the young lady I was talking about, do you go to church? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus, all this stuff. And I told them just one little bitty miracle. And as I started telling the miracle, I began to see her withdraw and her eyes began to get big. And as I finished it, she said, that's unbelievable. You think there was any doubt in her? Oh, eat up with it. Eat up with it. You know, instead of drawing back and, that's unbelievable, she should have started saying, Praise God! That's my Jesus! See, that's how you can tell the difference between somebody that's got faith and somebody that don't have faith. 
I'll tell you, just like whenever I prayed for Ruth and uh, Lisa up in the, the north, way up north, I forget, somewhere close to Chicago. I don't remember where I was. I went up to speak in a uh, Assembly of God church. And after the service was over, uh, we went over to one of the deacon's houses and these two women walked in. And they, didn't, they weren't not at the meeting that night. They lived right down the street from the couple that we went over to the house. And the two women's name was Ruth and Lisa. Well, Ruth and Lisa walked in. And as they walked in, I was talking to them and asking them if they were Christian. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, where do you go to church? Well, Ruth said, well, I go a little here at this church, but I don't go very often. I said, well, Lisa, how about you? Well, no. She said, I completely got out of church. I said, would you girls tell me about your medical history? What makes you think we have a medical history? What do you want to know that for? I said, anytime you say you're a Christian and you're not obedient to serve God, you're going to have a medical history. I said, because you're disobedient, you're putting the devil in front of God, and the devil is going to come and he's going to make you sick. Did God tell you to put him first? Well, if you're not going to church, not reading the Word, are you putting him first? No, not at all. So I said, tell me about your medical history. Well, Ruth said, well, I've had a little bit of a problem. that I had surgery in a, uh, something, a rotor cuff or something in her right arm. And they went in and had to fix it, do surgery. But said they had to put some stainless steel bolts in my arm. And so said I can only raise my arm about this high. And I said, oh, okay. And I looked over at Lisa. I said, how about you, young lady? And she said, well, I've had four back surgeries. The last time they put two stainless steel rods in my back... And I said, I, my back's very stiff. I can barely bend. It hurts to walk. And they want to do surgery again. But I told them, no, I'm not going there no more. I said, well, how would you two girls like for Jesus to heal you? Well, they ain't never heard such thing. And I said, you know, if you will repent of your sins. What sins? I said, see, y'all are so dead spiritually, you don't even know what sin is. I said, you need to repent. I said, just not going to church and not serving God is sin. I said, you girls need to repent and make God a promise that you'll ask Him to forgive you of all your sins and then make Him a promise that you'll start going to church every Sunday. Well, Ruth said, if I do that, God would heal me? Where I could raise my arm up? I said, sure. Now, Lisa, she's just listening. And so Ruth said, well, Lord, I repent. Lord, I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll read Your Word. I'll do anything You tell me to do if You'll heal my arm. I recently laid my hand on her. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, You've heard what Your little daughter said now. I said, Father, I ask You to change that stainless steel bolt in her arm to flesh and bone. Where she can raise her arm all the way up. I said, thank You, Lord. It's done. I said, Ruthie's healed you. Raise your arm. Yeah. You know... Some people you just tell that to, and when you start talking, they say, no. What? Well, see, it takes faith. I said, now it's done. So she started up with her arm, and she went, it's all hurt. And she's just jumping and screaming, and all of a sudden I hear this other little woman over here, Lord, I repent! I repent! Why do you think God does these things? He loves you! That's why He does this. So I said, okay, now Lisa, you'll go to church. She said, Lord, I'll do anything. If you'll take this pain out of my back, Lord, I'll do anything. I reached over there and put my hand on her back. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to take those two stainless steel rods they put in Lisa's back. I ask you to turn them back into flesh and bone where she can bend down and touch her toes. 
I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, Lisa, you're healed. Bend over and touch your toes. And she just went right down on the floor and touched her toes and jumped up. She started running in place screaming, I'm healed. I have no pain. I told that story to somebody one time in a Baptist church. And I said, and you know, and I laid my hand on her and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to turn the stainless steel bolt in this woman's arm back into flesh and bone. And the guy said, wait, 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 Thurman. You're not going to tell me he really did it. I said, yeah. He said, I knew that's what you was going to say. He said, how do you have this kind of faith? I said, well, Jesus said it. I mean, Jesus said it. I said, why can't we believe him? If you have faith, you shall say unto this mountain, remove him to yonder place, and it shall remove and Oh, I guess it should have been. And only a few things shall be possible for you. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? And it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible with you. If you don't step out in faith and do some of these things, you know... I remember a preacher one time that used to be one of the big men down here at Dallas Theological. And he got a hold of this and they kicked him out. They kicked him out. One day he was in a church out in West, West Texas, speaking to about 4,000 people somewhere out West. Maybe it's California. He was West of here somewhere. And he said, I'm right there preaching to 4,000 people in this big church. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and said, there's a man here by the name of John Doe. He called a man's full name. said he has this problem. I want you to call him out right now. I want to heal him. So he said, I stopped and I looked and said, I said, Lord. He said, I didn't say this out loud. I said it silently. I said, Lord, if I call him out and you don't heal him, it's going to sure make me look like a fool. See, it's amazing what we think, how we rationalize You know what the king's answer was? I made my son look like a fool for all of you. Now you just obey me. Oh, that's right. That's right. Whoa! He said, okay, Lord, okay. He said, there's a man here by a certain name. Stand up. The man stood up. He said, you have this disease? He said, I do. He said, come down here. He come down here. He said, the Lord just spoke to him and told me right now he wants to heal you. He reached up and touched him. So the guy was instantly healed right in front of 4,000 people. Why does God do those kind of things? Because He loves us. Why does He do all the things He does? Why does He do all the stories we heard Alan tell a while ago in those prisons with all them Muslims that believe in some wild God, you know, that don't ever do nothing for nobody except kill people? Why does He do miracles like that in front of all those men? To prove to those men, hey guys, I'm real. And I love you. I love you. I want to save you. That's why God does everything He does. Because He's given us this power and we do not believe Him. What should be impossible with you? Now, it takes believing that, doesn't it? If you have faith, now, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, as a grain of mustard seed, you know that's a little bitty tiny thing. And when God, when we got saved, He gave us this little measure of faith. How do we make? What do we make that mustard seed do? Do we take it and throw it in the trash, or do we take it and plant it in the ground? When you take that little tiny mustard seed and plant it in the ground, you water it and everything, it grows up to be a little bitty thing about this big. Is this as big as it gets? How big does it get? Huge. As far as the garden plants, it becomes a huge one. 
It says it becomes so big that all the birds come and land in its branches. It all came from that little teeny tiny seed. I mean, just think. You take a little bitty tiny acorn, big as the end of your finger, and you plant that little one little acorn, and I've seen those things come up into trees that are this big around, that are 40, 50, 60 feet tall. Come from that little tiny seed. How's your faith going to increase? Get into the Word. Read it over and over and over. Study it. If you meditate on Scriptures like this, that if I have faith as a grain of mustard seed, I shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be, oh maybe, nothing shall be impossible with me. You get up every morning and say, Lord, thank you. I'm a daughter of the King. I'm the son of the King. Lord, thank you that I'm a child of yours. You said that I have the mind of Christ. Nothing's impossible with me. I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Nothing is impossible, Lord. Thank you that you bore my sickness, removed my disease, so I don't have to be sick no more in the name of Jesus. Lord, you also bore my sin, so I don't have to sin no more. So I ain't going to sin no more, Lord. I'm going to walk holy. You commanded me to walk in love. Now, with the power of your Holy Spirit, I will walk in love today, Lord. I will love everybody. I don't care what they throw at me. I will love in the name of Jesus. When you start saying those kind of things. But that will have trouble getting through to you. But you've got to say them over and over and over every day. You've got to meditate on the Word. You can, you can take the Word. You can be the most powerful prayer man or woman there is. And you can lay the Word down for a week. Take a vacation. And you can be a handicapped cripple by the end of the week. You know, It's kind of like rowing a boat upstream. You're out there in a canoe, and you've got a paddle, and it's the current's only going three miles an hour. But you're paddling, and you're gaining ground. But you get up there, and you look over there, and you go past a certain point, and you go for a long time, and an hour from now, you're tired. You say, i got to lay down here and take a little break. <laughs> you wake up 30 minutes from now, and you, that, you are way back downstream. You lost a lot of ground. That's the way it is in the kingdom of God. You can't never take a break. If you do, you're going backwards. You've got to stay in the Word every day. Every day. Now then, turn over from Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Verse 18, 18. Just listen to this. This is almost more than the average person can grasp. Verily I say unto you, and our King is speaking here, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. If you're walking in obedience to God's Word, what can you get done with that Scripture? What kind of power did He give you? Unlimited. Where did He give it to you? On the earth. Now see, so that some of you will know, you might want to talk to Him later. Philip, the young man that's back there running the sound system right now. The tall young man, you can't see him. He's behind the deal back there. But he's back there. And that's his lovely bride sitting up there on top running the camera. But Philip, back there, when Philip came to me, right now he's about 23, I think. But when he was 11... He was a little bitty boy, 11 years old, 
His mother and dad asked me to come to their home one Sunday afternoon, and I went over there, and little Philip's body was covered with warts and scars. He had had them since he was three. I got the mother and dad to repent of their sins. I built their faith. He hated it. He said, Mr. Scrivener, I hate these warts. He had them all over his body, in his eyes, in his nose, on his mouth, under his neck, on his hands, up under his fingernails. All over his body he had warts. He said, I hate it because all the kids at school called me warty. I said, Philip, I know, but need doesn't move the hand of God. Only faith. What is it that pleases God? Faith. His Word. I said, you know, we get all your sins repented of. And your mother's and dad's sins repented of. And we build your faith. So for two and a half hours, I built their faith. And at the end of that two and a half hours, I said, Philip, do you believe that Jesus I've been reading about and all these promises He made us in here, you believe He can take these warts and scars off your body? And that little 11-year-old boy looked at me and said, Mr. Scrivener, after what I've heard you read out of that book today, I believe Jesus can do anything. Is that the kind of faith the king's looking for? That's what he's looking for. I took this promise that we just read, Matthew 18, 19. What does it say? Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. What's our limitations? On earth. And anything we ask, and two of us agree. Well, there was five of us. His mother and dad, him and his little sister, and me. So we knelt on the floor in that little living room that day, up there in Justin, Texas, and I asked the Father in the name of Jesus to remove every one of Philip's warts and scars in the name of Jesus, and I thank the Lord for doing it for him. We stood up, his mother said, when are they going to come off? I said, that's the only thing God don't tell me is when. I said, they may drop off immediately. It may take a day. It may take a week. I don't know. But I said, I guarantee you, if you stay in faith with me, with no doubt in your heart, in a few days to a few weeks, this boy will not have a wart or a scar on his body, but you've got to believe. I said, I'm going to guarantee you something else. When I walk out of this room, there's going to be a little enemy that's going to come in here and say, now you don't really think. Just because this old gray-headed man knelt there on the floor and read a verse out of this old book that these warts and scars that he's had for eight years is going to go away. Now, remember, they took him to the doctor and they burned all them off the top of his hand and it came back. The scars are all there to prove they burned them up. But the warts all come right back in the scars. You don't think that just because he prayed that they'll go away. I said, when that happens, you don't even entertain that thought. You run over and get this book and you say, Mr. Devil... I want you to see what Jesus said right here in Matthew 18, 19. And you stand on that Word. And they did. And the next morning at 7 o'clock or about that, Mama goes in to check Philip to see. And all the warts on the ends of his fingers and under his fingernails were gone overnight. And then over the next three weeks, every wart on his body completely went away. And then that third Sunday, whenever Mama come up there, she says, Thurman, look, I've never seen anything like this. She said, God has removed all of Philip's warts. Only thing left is them two scars. I said, Mama, don't quit believing now. Keep believing with me. And next Sunday, he won't have any scars. Now, Mark eleven twenty three. what did he say I could have, ma'am? Anything I say with my mouth if I believe with my heart, right? So what did I say? 
Keep leaving with no doubt in your heart. And next Sunday, he won't have any scars. Mama brought Philip to church next Sunday, and he had no scars. Today, he's 23 years old, and since he was 11, he's had no warts or no scars. And he's right back there. You can talk to him after church if you want to. See? Isn't it wonderful to have live testimonies around? You know, you go back there and talk to him. In fact, I got tickled when him and Krista started going together. You know, she fell in love with that big hunk of guy, you know. And they're walking along together, how they hold each other close, you know, when they're all so young and all that stuff, you know. And one day I said, Krista, and they decided to get married. I said, Krista, did Philip ever tell you about his warts? She said, what warts? I said, Philip, you never did tell her? He said, no. I said, oh, Krista, I said, you know... If, uh, the, if the Lord hadn't come in upon Philip, I said, when you'd have met him, what would you have thought if he had warts in his eyes and his nose all over his mouth? How would you like to kiss him? She said, ooh. I said, oh, aren't you glad he met Jesus? We're all glad he met Jesus. But we're all glad that Jesus is there to answer these kind of prayers, aren't we? And, of course, now they're married. They've got a beautiful little girl and everything. And, boy, you talk about a prayer warrior, that young man's learning how to pray. Now, when you get a young man gets a miracle like that from God, you think it's hard to prove him God's not real? Ah, uh, you ain't proving him nothing. He knows God's real, right? He remembers when he was 11. And the other day I was in the kitchen. He walked in and said, You know, Mr. Sheridan, it's really not that hard to walk in love with God. All you got to do is just stay in the Word. I said, Yeah. That's what he's doing. He's staying in the Word. See? Now, these are great promises right here, aren't they? Just think, again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. Did he say, maybe it'll be done? If it be my will, it'll be done? So why do we pray like that? Why do we say, oh God, if it be your will? Now God, if it be your will, will you please take these warts off of Philip? But he'd have still had them. And he wouldn't have that beautiful wife of his either, see? You know? He wouldn't have that beautiful little girl. But he met a man that prayed in faith. That believed the living God. Because the king said it was his will. Anything. Now, why is it that these things don't work for us? Number one, we don't believe. Doubt. What we read back over just a little ways, Lord, why could we not cast this devil out of this boy? He said, because of your unbelief. Your unbelief. You know, there was one verse there we didn't read in verse 21. When we went back over there to 1721, he says, this kind goes not out but by prayer and fasting. What's he talking about there? This kind what? Demon? Maybe he's talking about unbelief. See, it could be either one, couldn't it? Either way, you lose. Whether it was your whether it was the demon more powerful than you or the unbelief more powerful than you, either way you lose. So if you want it to work for you, how do you get it to work for you? Prayer and fasting. Now see, I was a member of a church that I did, we had never heard a message, or at least I never heard it, on fasting. Now, if you want to know what I thought about fasting, when we had any kind of an event, I don't care what it was, a prayer deal or whatever, they'd say, all you ladies bring your favorite finger foods. 
So we didn't fast very much, but we sure did feast a lot. So I thought that the Lord must have left out the letter E. Instead of F-A-S-T, we must have put the F-E in there so we feast a lot. Because we've done a lot of feasting, but we didn't do no fasting. Now, you wonder why there's no power in the church? How much fasting have you done? Somebody says, fasting? Have you fasted lately? You know what I think the Lord wants you to do? I think He wants you to live a fasted life. I think He wants you... In fact, for months after Cheryl and I got married... We fasted every Tuesday and every Thursday. Water only two days a week. Now, how many of you have ever done that? Some of you have. Praise God. I know, I know Ty fasts a lot. You know, but Cheryl and I, after we got married, we went up north and she saw a boy with MD, I think it was, that I could not get healed. And on the way home, she said, Honey, why could you not get that boy healed? I said, It's my lack of faith. I just... I have too much unbelief in there. I said, he wanted to be healed. I wanted to be healed. But it just didn't work. She said, well, what do we have to do to get to that point? I said, prayer and fasting. Fasting and prayer. She said, well, how long do we need to fast? I said, well, Jesus said in His Word, nobody can go above Him as an example. I said, Jesus, the first thing when His ministry started, the very first thing, He went into the wilderness and He fasted and prayed 40 days. She says, so if we fast and pray 40 days, you think you'd have that same kind of anointing? I said, I think so. I believe that with all my heart. She said, we're going to do it. I said, have you ever fasted before? She said, no. I said, so you're going to step into a 40-day fast and you ain't never fasted before? But see, she, at least she's got a good plan, see? So we start. Now, I'd fasted three days, seven days, ten days, twelve days, fourteen days. I had fasted that before several times but I'd never fasted 40 so we start on our 40 day fast water only we we make it 18 and a half days and that morning after 18 days Cheryl is so weak she gets up that morning and picks up something and walks over and throws it in the washing machine one handful and goes over and lays down for 30 minutes (laughs) and then she gets up and picks up one more pair of socks and walks over and puts it in the washer and she goes and crashes for 30 more minutes. And I said, honey, you better stay and rest. I'm going out to the minister center. i got to talk to some people about a bus I'm giving away. I went out there and when I got out there and got out of the car and stood up for five seconds, the whole world disappeared. I couldn't see anything for about five seconds. I could still hear, but I couldn't see And I said, Lord, I'm sure glad that didn't happen while I was driving. You know, five seconds or ten seconds when you're driving and you can't see. So I take care of the bus and then on the way home I said, Lord, I don't know what this deal is about fasting, but we want to fast. And he spoke to me. He said, son, your fast is over today. I I said, Lord, why? He said, because I told you that no one could go above what Jesus did. And said, you're trying to go above Jesus. I said, Lord, I don't understand that. I'm just trying to fast 40 days. He said, no. Jesus went into the wilderness and fasted and prayed 40 days. He said, you're trying to work 16 hours a day on top of it. And he said, you can't do that. Because he said, I didn't even ask my son to do that. So if you were to do that... 
you would go above your master, Jesus, and said, you can't do it. said, today your fast is over. If the Lord says your fast is over, guess what? It's over. It's over. So I go home and tell my lovely bride, honey, today the fast is over. No! We ain't quitting! I said, okay. So... Uh, you know, you can't argue with a woman. You know, when she's got her mind set, you might as well just forget it, you know. So, uh, we mess around there a little while, and that time to go to bed. I go to bed. We go to bed. And finally, about one o'clock in the morning, I don't hear nothing over on her side of the bed. She's not snoring or nothing else. She's not even breathing heavy. So, I think, well, I'm going to get up and go make me a cup of hot tea. I don't know what i got to do, but I know the Lord told me that the fast is over. So I slid off the side of the bed and sat up, and she said, Where are you going? I said, Oh, are you awake? She said, Yes, I'm not asleep. I said, Well, I'm fixing to go make me a cup of hot tea, and I'm going to put honey in it. She said, That'll break the fast. I said, I know. The Lord told me today the fast is over, so I'm going to break it. She said, Well, in that case, I'll get up and make us a bowl of soup. And so she did. And now we found out, uh, three days later, we're going to Baltimore. And three days later, she still couldn't, eating every day, she still couldn't pull a suitcase on wheels. That's how weak she was. So the Lord knew she was not going to make it. So, I mean, in one day, I'm full strength. You know, I mean, I'm going 90 miles an hour. But he knew she couldn't handle it. That's why he told me, it's over. And so we've never went on a long extended fast like that again. But I believe with all my heart, every time we go on a fast and pray, God increases our anointing. You know, because He said He does. Now, if you've never done a time of fasting and prayer, you, that may be one of the reasons why you have no power with God. Because He wants you to fast and pray. He said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. See, a lot of people don't ever fast. But I'm believing that we ought to live a fasted life. You know, just like me the other day, I stepped on the scales. I always weigh 175. I have for years. But lately, you know, I mean, we, we're up all times of the day and night. And I got to work at night, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, we're still working. I'd come in there and I'd say, you know, I'd like to have something to eat. And of course, I started to say this is Ty's fault, but I ain't going to blame it on him. He likes to eat ice cream before he goes to bed. You know, so I'd think, well, I'll have a bowl of ice cream. So I'd dip out one big scoop and put it in a bowl and have one scoop of ice cream and a few nuts or something, you know, almonds or something. And, you know, after a few days of having one scoop, I thought, why not have two, you know? <laughs> and after a month or two or three, you know, two sounds so good, but this time I'm having three and then finally four. You know, one, two, three, four big old scoops of almonds all over it, and sat and eat that at one o'clock in the morning, and then at one thirty or two, go to bed. Now you can imagine what that's doing to me, can't you? Do what? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't even think about fat-free ice cream. I don't. I, I don't even want. I want good milk. If it ain't full stuff, I don't want it. I don't do any skim milk. I'm not that kind of guy. I like the good stuff. And so, but I've learned you got to do it. So the other day I happened, I hadn't, hadn't stepped on the scales in a while. I noticed my pants were getting a little tight. It's kind of hard to fast them, kind of suck it in, you know. So I went in and I stepped on the scales and I weighed 195. I said, what is this? 195. Whoa. 
I quit eating ice cream. I quit eating all that stuff. I, I just eat two meals a day now, and I exercise like crazy. And after three weeks or what it was, I went back in there, stepped on the scales again, 175. I said, okay, Lord, I lost that 20 pounds. Now I'm going to keep it there. But I've learned to keep it there, you've got to live a fasted life. You've got to eat right and exercise right. Now then, I believe with all my heart, God wants us to take care of this temple He lives in. Don't you believe that? So, that's where, I, that's where I'm coming from. And another thing too, I was thinking about a man I took for a ride in an airplane yesterday afternoon. He was about my age, but he had picked up a little bit of weight. And he had a lot of trouble getting in and out of the airplane. And he said, you know, I don't get in and out near as easy as I did 20 years ago because I put on a few pounds. And I told him, I said, that's why I don't put on any extra weight because I want to be able to jump in and out of this airplane, you know, without a problem. But I have a price to pay to keep this body slim and trim. You know that? I've got to eat right and exercise right and I've got to watch what I eat. And so, that's just me, but you know, I want to be able to do what I do. I love being able to climb around under stuff and work on stuff and do all those things. I love it, and I know there's a lot of places I couldn't get and things I couldn't do if I was overweight. So, I love working and doing the things I do, and so I can only be responsible for one person right here. I can't do it for nobody else. I can't do it for you. I can't control what you eat. I can't control your body weight. I can't do it for anybody but one person, and that's me. But I can control this one, you know, if I'm led by the Spirit. And when I'm led by the flesh, I go from one scoop of ice cream a night to two, to three, to four. I didn't realize I'm sitting there, you know, one sure was good. How about two? I put two in there, and the first time, no problem. One, two, three, four. Four big dips in there and plate all them uh, almonds all over the top of it. And I have no idea how many calories is in that, but... Way too many, I'll say that. And over a two or three month period, what it was, it just put 20 pounds right around my middle. But I didn't notice until I had to suck it in to put that belt on. There's something wrong here. I'm not normally like that, but now I know what it was. And it's the ice cream. So anyway, now then, that we let's go ahead and let's go to some more. Let's go to Matthew 21. Matthew twenty one twenty one, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Matthew twenty one twenty one. Verily I say unto you, if you have faith. If. You see that big word? If you have faith. Isn't that the biggest word in the whole Bible? It's such a little bitty tiny thing, but if you have faith and doubt not. Now see, here's another one of them kickers. <laughs> and doubt not. You shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree. Now, what did he do to the fig tree? He spoke to the tree and it died. You know, today you tell somebody, hey, do you know I can speak to that tree and it'll die? They said, let's lock you up. You've got a problem. You can't talk to trees. Oh, yeah, I talk to my garden. You know, I go out there and speak over my, tree, over my roses. You know, I plant him wrong. Go out there and say, in the name of Jesus, I command you roses to be beautiful and bloom out with the big, beautiful blossoms. No, somebody said that couldn't have no effect on it. Absolutely. 
I mean, until Ty started telling us about the things, when you say what you say and how those words come in and they go back in your ears and go into, he knows what kind of gland and everything else they go into and how it produces this and that and causes all kinds of things to happen in your body. I've listened to him teach those things and how that you get mad at somebody and say, oh, I hate you. And he says, when you say that and you really mean it, you come back, go to the ears, go to a gland, produces something, goes down here, produces something, goes to your liver and attacks it or whatever. I don't remember all that stuff. He knows all that stuff as a doctor. And it'll make you sick. It'll kill you. What you said with your mouth. See, so we don't understand the power of our words. But Jesus said, not only can you speak to your own body and either make it well or make it sick, you just start listening to what people say. How do you feel this morning? Oh, my old whatever is bothering me in my back. You know, I got this bad back, had it bad for years, you know. Or my hand, you know. I mean, I'm getting over 50. had my black balloon birthday last week and I'm over the hill. You ever seen one of them? Sure. Black And you're a Christian? You have a black balloon birthday? Give me a break. I mean, ain't going to get no black balloon birthday for me. You know, I mean, you you got to learn to talk. You know, if you haven't listened to the teachings I do on the CD or cassette about the power of the tongue, do you know Matthew, I mean, the Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death is in the power of your tongue, and every person shall eat the fruit of their tongue. So if you go around saying, well, I get, you know, the, the fact that young man came to a healing school here a while back, he was only in his early 40s. And he went down here to a doctor in Dallas that he'd been involved with some sin. And he went down here to Dallas and the doctor x-rayed him, checked him out and said, Son, you've got a very rapid, incurable disease. You have three or four weeks to live. So he just bought that. He's a Christian, but does he go to church? Very little. Does he know the Word of God? No. So he goes back to Tennessee where he come from and went to buy him a burial spot up in Tennessee. You know, he's preparing for his death. He's bought into this. And the guy, well, he met a guy up there and said, you know, I, so what's wrong with you? He said, well, I'm going to die. The doctor said, I'm going to die in a few weeks, so I'm getting my uh, everything together so it'll have to be all taken care of. He said, let me give you a CD. Oh. And he handed him a CD. It says, Thurman Scrivener. And so he said, I take that and I listen to that. And he come to the next healing school. I mean, the healing school just about a week. He came down there and sat here, repented of every sin. I prayed for him. Three months later, he come back and said, praise God, I'm totally healed. The doctor said, I'm going to live for a long time. What did he do? He repented of his sins. And he started believing the Word instead of believing what... Nobody ever told me sin brings forth death. But it's written in this book, all over this book. Sin brings forth death. Don't sin. It'll kill you. But we don't believe it. But see, then we don't believe also that God will forgive us when we do sin. And He'll restore us to fellowship. And then you stand on these promises and He'll heal you, just like He did this young man. So instead of dying, what if that man hadn't had that CD and give it to him? The boy would be dead. That's exactly right. He had already agreed. He's already saying, I'm preparing for my death. Isn't that amazing? He's killing himself. Now, he's just going to finish himself off a 40-year-old man. It's not meant for you to die at 40. You know, God promised in His Word, if you'll be obedient and serve Me, He said, I will satisfy you with a long, healthy life. I come to give you life. And not only to give you life, but to give it to you abundantly. Abundant life doesn't include sickness and disease. Not in my book. 
Now somebody says, you know, if you want to call you one of them, name it and claim it a bunch, all I'm doing is saying what Jesus said. You know, he said, I can have whatever I say with my mouth if I believe with my heart. So he appears to be a pretty good name it and claim it guy. Amen. You know? Which one was that, honey? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah. The, uh, it's just too many. In fact, I've I got to tell you one that I remember. Uh, yes, I prayed for a young man just this week with a liver failure that was healed. But also, a lady called me this week and I called, told uh, Kathy and told her the testimony about Paula. It was a friend of hers that was in California. She said, Paula gave her testimony this week, and I just wanted to share it with you. And she called Kathy, and Kathy was on fire when I came in. She's jumping up and down, screaming, praising the Lord. It's good to work in a place where Jesus shows up. You know, your employees get excited, you know, and I love it. But I had forgotten this miracle. Of course, it was kind of a little insignificant miracle, as you'll see. This girl, (laughs) you, you can understand why I forget these things. I was, I was in Manny, Louisiana, teaching the Word, and Beth down there, a relative, I think this lady, Paula, is a relative of Beth, and she had went to California to visit friends or relatives, and she was riding a horse, and when she got on the horse, she pulled it too much, and the horse reared up, and of course, she pulled it harder, which it did, the horse kept coming up, and she fell off of the back end, and the horse came right over on top of her. And, of course, you know, a little 1,500, 1,800-pound horse fall on you, you know, that's kind of hard on your back. It broke her back. And so she's in the hospital a few days. I don't remember how many, but she's in excruciating pain. And when I was at her best determined, would you call Paula and pray for her? I said, sure. So I called her and talked to her for, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour. I talked to her about sin, talked to her about faith, talked to her that you've got to believe God. You gotta get your sins repented of. And then he promised that he'll do these things for us. I quoted several of these promises. And then I prayed for Paula. I said, now then, do you believe the promises of God? Now see, all these promises, you gotta know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, no matter how many promises God made us, the answer to all of them are yes and amen. Now how many of God's promises are yes? All. All. So why do we have such a problem believing the King? All the promises of God are if you're in Christ. That's the requirement. You've got to be in Christ. You've got to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you've got to be walking in obedience to His Word. You've got to walk in His love. You've got to stay in His love. If you stay in His love, then you're His child indeed. So, I called Paula and told her all these things. Talked to her about an hour, I guess. And then I prayed the prayer of faith for her. I said, now do you believe these promises? She said, I do. I said, good. I said, sick people stay in bed. Well, people get up and do something. I said, get up off the bed. You're healed in the name of Jesus. I said, call me with your praise report. I hung up the telephone. Just in a little while, she called back. And she was totally, completely healed, running around the room like wasn't nothing wrong with her. Well, she she was in Louisiana the other day, and she gave that testimony about two years later in her church. And of course, when Beth called... Our ministers would tell us about it. Uh, and Kathy was all jumping up and down and telling me. I said, you know, isn't that amazing? That's such a little insignificant miracle. I just forgot about that. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> insignificant, huh? Yeah. But with God, it's just a tiny little thing. You know, all I had to do is pray the prayer of faith. Yeah. But was it any harder for God to heal Paula than it was for him to take the warts off of Philip? No. no. With God, it's all easy. It's just a piece of cake. Yeah. 
You know, just like when you pray for that young man with a liver failure, all you got to do is pray and believe it's done. You know, and then say it's done, and you got to believe it's done. All these promises in here, God put in here for you and me, His children, His sons and daughters. Now then, all He said we've got to do is believe with no doubt. Is it hard to do that? Oh, yeah, especially when this little critter jumps upon your shoulder. And somebody prays for you, and he says, Well, yeah, I know that's for some people, but that's not for you. I mean, you old worthless critter, you. I mean, after all. I mean, he'll jump up on your shoulder, and he'll say, You think of all them sins you committed when you was 15? Oh, he'll bring back everything you've ever done in your life. And you don't forget none of them. And he's usually right on when those things start flooding back in our mind. He said, you don't really think a holy God would do nothing for an old worthless critter like you. See, that's where you got to say, hey, I'm a son of God. I'm, yeah, I used to be that worthless critter. I was that worthless critter. I was one of them worthless critters, but now I'm redeemed by the blood. Now I'm washed in the blood. I'm a son of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. And all these promises are me under the new covenant. All of them. All I got to do is do something in faith. So start doing something in faith. Praying for people. I mean, start getting a hold of this fact. You talk to people, your own self in your own life. You make sure you've repented of every sin known and unknown that you've ever committed in your life. I mean, you make sure that there's no unforgiveness. Make sure you're walking in a God kind of love. And then you start praying for people. You meet somebody on the sidewalk. Somebody's walking along and you say, what's wrong with you? i got a back problem. I mean, it's just like one day a lady walked in this right here for Bible study one Tuesday afternoon. She said, is this the Living Savior Church? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you have a Bible study here? I said, yes, ma'am, it's 7 o'clock. Okay, she oh, she said, that's about 35 or 40 minutes now. She said, we got to run down and i got to get a hamburger or something to get something to eat. I have a terrible headache. I said, oh, just a minute. I run over there and I just grabbed her by the head and I said, in the name of Jesus, I command that spirit of pain to come out of you. In the name of Jesus. I said, now you go get something to eat. Well, when you have a headache, she said, wow, she said, it's gone. She goes and gets something to eat with her sister, and they both walk in a little while, and I said, well, how's your headache? She said, it's gone. How much power did he say we had over these things? What can we ask for? Well, see, if you don't ever... See, you walk up to put your hand on somebody and say, oh, God, if it be your will. He says, forget it, you faithless critter. You Don't you ask me for nothing. He said in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, I said clearly, when you ask me for something, you must ask in faith nothing wavering. You must believe you're a son of God. You must believe you're a daughter of the King. And when you pray for people in faith, you get them to repent of all their sins, known and unknown. You take one of these scriptures, you slap your hand on them and say, In the name of Jesus, I command that devil to come out and be healed in Jesus' name. Now it's done, I guarantee you, because Jesus made you the promise. And you'll start seeing the King do great and awesome things. And all the time that devil said, oh, you fool, it ain't going to work for you. And you say, oh, you fool, get out of here in the name of Jesus. I believe Jesus. That he'll try his best to talk you out of your salvation. Somebody walk up to you and say, you believe you're saved? Well, yeah, I, I hope so. The devil says, yeah, you know, see, you're all worth this thing. You, God wouldn't save an old worthless critter like you. Think of all the bad things you've done in your life. Yeah, you say, yeah, 
devil, I used to do all them bad things, but no more. He put my sins as far as the east is in the west, and now I'm a clean, blood-washed son or daughter of the King, and all the promises of God belong to me in the name of Jesus. When you start believing Him, you'll start seeing God do great and awesome things for you. you start praying for people. I mean, you know, as a normal Christian, most of my life, I never prayed for nobody because I never seen God do nothing. And it's something to go to church all your life. You ain't never seen God do nothing. You've been there and done it. I've been there and done it too, but no more. Thank goodness. Finally, one day, I started believing the Word. When I started believing the Word, wow, wow, wow. Has life become fun? I love it. It is fun, isn't it, Ty? Well, it's fun serving God. You know, it's fun praising the King. It's fun knowing that Daddy's there. And when we're walking obedience to His Word, when He puts me or Ty to a trial and test, we know that He's putting us to a trial and test. We just praise Him and thank Him for it. You know, praise Him and thank Him. You know, that's... <laughs> I got tickled Ty the other day. He even sure went off up somewhere. His wife, they went up to somewhere in his airplane to come back and it was really bad. And he's just working on these instruments. He don't have an instrument ready yet, but he's working on it. And the time they got back, the clouds kept getting lower and the rain kept getting harder and everything else. And I think he flew over his airport two or three or four times before he finally found it. <laughs> and there... But I could just see him now said, Lord, i got to have some help up here. <laughs> I bet you he was praying. I guarantee you when you die. That's the old thing. For sure. <laughs> and she was praying too, huh? Uh-oh. Amen. Ty's in trouble. Pray for him. Now, thank goodness for a mother that's tuned in to the Holy Ghost. Because of all these wonderful prayers, and the king can send his angel out to guide that airplane and put him in and everything go good. Now then, if you don't have those prayers, and you don't have... If you're not filled with the Spirit, and you're not walking in obedience to God's Word, people get killed every day in events like this. Because they're not children of God. Or they may be children of God, but they're not walking in obedience to His Word. If you're not walking in obedience to His Word, He can take you out. In fact, I'll tell you this little story about a man of God, great man of God, that did not realize he knew the Word of God. He's still on the radio today preaching the Word of God. But years ago, this man, he, he had an airplane too, and he flew lots of places with his staff to, for, for speaking engagements and all kinds of things. Right down there where he was, there was a man running for governor that he did not want to become governor of the state of Texas. And that day, they were fixed, him and three or four men were going to fly somewhere, and they had the cameras on him, and he stepped up at the edge of that airplane and looked right at the camera. He said, I'd rather be dead than to see that man as governor of the state of Texas. He didn't have a clue what he was saying. But that day... Him and every man in that airplane with him died. Mm. Every one of them. Mm. It, I'm totally, completely convinced that statement he made, because that man, he said, I'd rather be dead than see him governor. That man became governor of the state of Texas. The thing about it is, God's in control of who's going to be governor and everything. Nobody's in office as if God puts them there. That's what the Scripture says. So, don't ever say, I'd rather be dead than to see him in office because it might just cost you your life. Yeah, yeah. 
it cost him his life that day. Not only his, but there was either three or four other men with him. And all of them were killed in that airplane crash that day. Be careful what you say. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. And every person shall eat the fruit of your tongue. Now, these promises that are in this book, they're for you and me. And there's not just a few of them. There's a lot of them. Like the young lady that came up to give the testimony, she's got just a few of them in her heart. And look what it's already doing. The Word will produce great fruit for you. So, if you will walk holy before Him, you will believe Him today. If you will obey Him, and you will tell Him, Lord, I am sorry for all my sins. And if you're married and here with your spouse, they must repent of their sins. Both of you. Repent of every sin. And then, after you've repented, then take a set of verses or a verse that will guarantee you can have whatever you need today. And then believe that because the Word of God says after you repent, then He watches over His Word to perform His Word. In Jeremiah 1.12 where He says that. So, He watches over His Word to perform His Word. And He's ready to perform His Word. So when you come to the king on behalf of his promises, then you, if you believe with no doubt in your heart, he says, all my promises are yes and amen. And so when we pray for you, then you must believe you have received what they prayed for. And if you do, you go out here saying, praise God, I'm healed. I'm delivered. I'm set free. I'm changed. In fact, Vernon Cannon came here been months ago. He was 77 years old and they drove from Hobbs, New Mexico. He come up here at the end of the healing school. He said, Brother Thurman, have you ever seen God heal? He said, no. He said, do you think God can heal dyslexia? I said, no, sir. I know He can. He said, well, I've never seen it. I said, well, I said, I know He can do it. I said, you got it? He said, yeah, I was born with it. He said, I'm 77 years old. I've never been able to read. In 77 years, I cannot read. I prayed for him. He said, what do I need to do? I said, Jesus said in His Word... You go out of here praising Him, worshiping Him, and saying, I can read perfect in the name of Jesus. What did the king say? Whatever you say with your mouth when you believe with your heart, you can have it. I prayed for him. He started out that door. said, Lord, thank you. I can read perfect. His wife of about 52 years said, Oh, honey, you can read? He said, Well, not really yet. But he said, Thurman told me to say I can. So he said, I believe I can, though, because it's written in the Word. So, of course, he said that. I said, say it over and over and over and over. Well, of course, you know, his wife, you know, 52 years, every day he says, get up more and say, thank you, thank you, Lord, I can read perfect. Well, she knows, don't say nothing. That, you know, just, he's saying it. She knows he's just saying it. Yeah. Well, two and a half months later, I don't know don't how many times he said it. He said, I'm standing there in service that morning, reading, looking up at the bullet of the deal on the screen up there, and we're singing. I said, Lord, thank you, I can read them words perfect in the name of Jesus. He said, all of a sudden the screen got bright and the words all come into perfect alignment and I could read for the first time. 77 years. He said, praise the Lord, I can read. Well, they went to lunch. He said, praise the Lord, I can read the menu. Well, of course, he'd been saying it for two and a half months, so his wife's not excited. You know, you know, she asked him the first day, can you read? And he said, no, not really, I'm just saying that. So, he said, we get, praise the Lord, I can read. Of course, a little more excitement. But he said, we get home from church. He said, praise the Lord, honey, I can read. She said, okay, okay. He said, no, I really can read. 
you really can read. She goes over and gets her Bible and says, read that line right there. And he read it and he said, my bride of 52 years started doing cartwheels. She's jumping up and down screaming. He can really read. Well, a few weeks later, she hurt her wrist. And for three weeks, him and her prayed over that wrist and they could not get that wrist healed. It kept getting worse and worse. She woke up on Tuesday morning. She said, honey, today's Bible study at Dallas. We're going to Bible study today. Now, from Hobbs, New Mexico to here is a pretty good little trip to come to Bible study on Tuesday night. All day long, Vernon, 77-year-old, and his wife drove to Dallas. They got here about 15 minutes before Bible study started, and they walked in, and I was putting the chairs out, and she walked in. She said, I know. I told Vernon, said, I know if you pray for me, I know I'll be healed. My wrist been bothering me for three weeks. Me and him prayed over it. Nothing's happened. But I know if you touch me in the name of Jesus, he'll heal me. That sounds like the woman with the issue of blood. I know if I can touch the hem of his garment. She just stuck her arm out and I said, in Jesus' name. She said, I knew it. I knew it. It's already gone. I, she was instantly healed right there. We were all here that night. She got up and gave her testimony. Vernon got up and gave his testimony. And Ty, being a doctor, he said, there ain't nobody can heal dyslexia but God. Nobody but God. But what can God do? Now think about this last Scripture we're going to quit. Ephesians 3.20. I want you to think. I read this a thousand times in Ephesians 3.20 and I think I finally am beginning to get a little bit of revelation. Think what it says. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, Above all that you can think or imagine. Does it read something like that? Are we close? He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can think or imagine according to what? The power. Oh, there's a little more to that. Not the power, but the power that works where? In us. How much of that power is in you? Oh, now wait a minute. That's what I used to think. But if that's true, if all that power is in us, why doesn't it work in all of us? Oh, the doubt and unbelief is not in you. The more of the Word you have in you, that's the power you have in you. You got one verse in you, you got one verse of the power in you. Because that Word is the power. You got 50 verses in you, you got a lot more power. You got a hundred verses in you, you got a lot more power. You got a thousand verses in you, you got a lot more power. Now that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can think or imagine according to the power that's in you. Now what if we could put that whole book in us? What kind of limitations would we have if we had it all in there? You'd be able to do the same thing Jesus did. That's what he said. He's training and conforming us into his image. So that's why over the years that I've learned and hidden more and more and more that word in my heart. That's why the power and the anointing has grown. And that's why these miracles and things that God has done has increased this leaps and bounds because I spend more and more time with God. Sometimes I just go into my office and just lock the door. You know, I stay in there for hours. You know, sometimes three, four, five hours. You know, you know, you're in there. Sometimes Cheryl walks in and I'm there in my chair, right back, both hands up, praising the Lord. Oh. You know, sometimes she comes in. I got a computer screen up there. I'm sitting there reading the Word, both hands raised. 
You know, and you know, here's the thing people don't understand. They knock on the door and they walk in and say, can I talk to you? And if I say, no, I'm busy, it offends them. So I'd say, okay, come on in. <laughs> so Kathy made me a sign. Put on the outside door, taping in process, do not bother you. <laughs> but when you're in there with the king, if you don't spend that kind of time with him, forget it. He ain't going to do nothing for you. You've got to be in there praising him, worshiping him. You have to take that time. I know Ty gets up in the morning like from four to six and he spends that first two hours with the king nearly every day. He gets in and locks himself up in his little study. It's quiet in the house four to six. Ain't nobody up but him. And he just goes in there or at least I don't get Cheryl's up at that time of morning. She's probably more like my Cheryl. She sleeps in a little while. So from four to six, he's unhindered. Just him and God. He goes in there and he spends that time with God. And that's why God answers his prayers so powerfully. Because he spends the time with you. Is he a respecter of persons? No, nope. No you don't spend no time with him? Forget it. Buster, I won't spend no time. If you don't draw near to me, forget it. You don't get nothing. But if you draw near to me, hey, according to the power that's in you. So the more of the word you get in you, the greater will become the anointing of God in your life. See, I used to read that and think, all that power is in me. And I used to say it like that. One day I made that statement, all that power is in me. And Jesus spoke to me. He said, oh yeah? And I thought, what? It's in me, Lord. He said, then why aren't the miracles that happened when I spoke, why aren't they happening with you? I said, well, Lord, some pretty powerful in His work. He said, the more of my word you put in you, the more or the greater the anointing. He said, every time you add a little more, every time you fast and pray, it increases your anointing. So he said, the more of the power, which is the Word, the more that you got in you, the greater will be the miracles when you speak in my name. Because the greater the love walk will be. Because you're doing what I say. Wouldn't you love it when you could get to that point where the king says, ask anything in my name and I would do it? Can you imagine a man teaching these principles in the church say, you're crazy. This stuff don't work. If you're such a man of God, why don't you call down rain from heaven? We've had a drought for three years out here in California. It hadn't rained a drop in three years. He said, guarantee nobody will get to the door. There will be a downpour before you can get to the door in Jesus' name. Somebody heard a... (laughs) They run to the door, open, it was pouring down flood and rain right then. How would you like to have that kind of anointing with God? It ain't rained in three years, and you speak it, you're teaching these principles, and the king confirms exactly what you're teaching right there. He's really real, folks. The king is really real. Father, in the name of Jesus, we praise you and thank you for another beautiful day. We thank you for all the things you've done. We thank you for your word. We thank you all your promises are yes and amen. We thank you, Lord, that you're our Savior, our healer, our deliverer. We thank you, Lord, for healing everybody here today. In the name of Jesus, Lord. Every need will be met today in Jesus' name. Lord, as we pray for people, your promises are always yes and amen. As they repent of their sins, come to you on behalf of your word. And we pray the prayer of faith for them. May you touch their lives and check and anoint them with the Holy Ghost and power. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. And meet every need that everybody needs, Lord, that came here. Some of them came a long way, Lord, to be prayed for, to, to hear your word. And may you bless them and bless them abundantly. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you all the praise and glory because this is your healing school. This is your business. In Jesus' name, amen.